Hola. Welcome to Granny's Peach Tea. Thanks for coming back for your second serving of, some could say, piss in a jar. Uh, but I think we're a little bit above that. Um, with me is uh, going to be as usual. I got Jason and Tony with me. Fellas, what's up? What's going on, bud? Ed, good to see you. Tony, good to see you. I'm excited to talk movies. Me too, especially this one. This is one of my this is one of my oh, faves, I'm so I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm excited to talk this movie in particular because I just watched it. But anyway, Ed, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's no. Go with it, man. This is this is this is what it's all about, man. Uh, I'm excited. I'm actually genuinely excited to he hear Jason's potential new take on Man of Steel because we've we ever that's actually a movie we haven't talked about that much because we can see it together. So we just kind of like vaguely right. allude to it over time. So. It'll, it'll almost be like we just saw it all over again. Um, it's true. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, uh, that'll be the last segment of the show, though. But we're going to, now with a pretty slow week in comic book and TV show news, we're going to jump right into everyone's favorite Batwoman season two, episode two. Um, I, and yeah, I can honestly say that I enjoyed this episode. More than I did the first one, even though the bar uh, we we I think we collectively felt the bar for the first episode was set pretty, was set pretty low, and the first season was up and down. I think they had some good episodes, they had some bad episodes, and you know I think we agree that the fundamentals of where the show started off is kind of has given it some problems. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll jump jump right into that. Um, Jason, what did you what did you think of uh, of this episode? I mean, I'm with you. I thought it was better than the last one I watched. Uh, but, I mean, I'd be more impressed if it were worse because, again, the bar <laughs> is so low that anything could dip under that bar from last week. I'd been impressed. Uh, but, I mean, it, you know, it was it was fine. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest. Like, the happiest moment I had watching this, this show was realizing I actually don't have to go back to the first season because, you know, Kate Kane is gone. They're, they're starting something else. I don't really. I get it. I get they were. They were. Uh, Alice was the sister. She's still the villain. There are everyone's still trying to be relevant. I think it's you know. Um, I get it. So I don't have to go back. Uh, you know, I actually I like from what I've seen of her. I like the woman who they got to play Batwoman a little more than Kate Kane. I think um, I, I kind of dig the like the backstory they give her. The whole like she was a criminal, so she has this sort of. Uh, knowledge of them, I think it, it, it's a bit more Batman. Not not that any of this is Batman, please. But yeah. I think it's a bit no, more no, no. Batman than you know. I, I'm your cousin, and I went to train. Um, so I, I mean, you know, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't pay very deep attention to it. Okay, all right. I mean, that's that's Tony. I I know you didn't watch it, so we're gonna. We're I think Jason I, and I will take will take the lead on this one. <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to watch the show, bro. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, I, it's look, fine, it's fine. I, I'm not, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a team player and all, but I just could not dedicate <laughs> myself to this show. I couldn't do it this week. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll try next week, but I just could not bring myself to watch it. So I have a lot to say about everything else. I just, this, this was not it this week. Uh, what's up, Steve? What's going on? That's uh, our, the head of Mr. Pop Culture Pros, our, Kevin Feige, your Vince McMahon, 
I don't want to soul call him Rob Manford because I think he's much I cooler think, than Mon Rob Manford. But I like the Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, you like that good. one? Yeah, like that's that one? a good one. Mm -hmm. He's gonna he's gonna like that one. What's up there, boss? Um, yeah. So I um listen. We're not gonna sit there and just. I don't want to. I want the show to get better. I do. I think it it did from last week's from the premiere to this one. Um, Jason, I actually I, I agree with you. I um. I like the fact that they're giving Ryan Wilder a different backstory than just because, like, Kate Kane, even though she's Bruce's cousin or whatever, um, she was kind of, like, well off. I mean, she did train in, like, with her father in the academy and is that whole backstory that led to why her and Sophie, like, you know, couldn't be together and all of that. Um, but, you know, they, they do stress that she was trained, highly trained and everything like that, but that's all. We also know that that's not what makes – Batman, Batman. I mean that you know, there's right. more to than just hand-to-hand -hand combat. There's also the world's greatest right. detective and all of that. And if any, if just anyone could say, "I'm going to train, I'm going to do the Batman regimen," then he's not special, but he is. So, and I think part of that is also it's not just the hand-to-hand -hand combat, and I think it's not just the 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 world's greatest detective. I think it's the darkness, right? Batman is a character fights his villains and beats them because he understands them, because he has yes. the darkness they have in him. And mm -hmm. at, at least by setting up this new Batwoman as someone who potentially has darkness, though I, I like the whole like wrong place, wrong time I was set up. I wish they just would have been like, no, she she did bad stuff and now she's trying to redeem herself. I think it's more interesting, but whatever. I'm I'm above my pay grade. I don't work for the DCU or CW. Um, but I do think that at least they're trying to give an edge to this character that I did not see Kate Kane have. And Batman, any Batman should have. Yeah, and, and I and I don't want to like harp on the show or just like rag on the show because it's not because it's not a Batman show, right? It's related to it, but it's not Batman. But the fact that you inexplicably made Bruce disappear and you're the ones, you know, the show itself is the ones that's hammering the point home that Batwoman is replacing Batman as the, you know, the city's hero is where, like, you can't help but to, like, fall in line with the comparisons. Because normally I would say, okay, Batman's doing his thing, let, you know, let Batwoman do her thing like you would see in, in the comics, but, you know, they're the ones who kind of created this, so now, you know, as fans, we can't help but to, like, go with it. Um, my, my pros for the episode... Where again, like Alice and Luke Fox, were they're always great. They're actually my two favorite characters on the show. Um, I also think they made the other sister, uh, whose name is escaping me at the moment. They gave her a kind of like interesting um, story right there because they, you know, the the whole the short version of the episode with Alice, um, you know, taking these bats and essentially feeding her old sidekick Mouse to these bats because he was killed with um, with a poison. This poison spread to the bats, and the bat she unleashed the bats on the city, and kind of was like controlling them through like a sonar thing to direct them. Um, I wasn't sure if she put together that like Batwoman rally that it was at, because the people were like, you know, Batwoman's been gone for a while, so the people there was a rally held in the city to um, to you know bring her back or to like fight on her behalf, and they wanted her back. Um, that's where she unleashed the bats on, and the idea was to like get a bunch of people poisoned and stuff like that. For you know her for plan to be further, so I'm like, all right, because you know Alice, the the actress who plays Alice, she was actually on Birds of Prey, by the way, like the original show on CW. Yeah, she was uh, the yeah. Black Canary character in that. I didn't recognize her either until I had read it in the beginning wow. of last season. 
And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. And the CW verse always does pretty cool shit like that, where they like uh, they brought they brought back like um, like I was telling you uh, last week that um, um, damn it, who played Lois on on Clark and uh, Lois and Clark? Oh, and Terry Hatcher. Terry, Terry Hatcher was on Supergirl, and then they also brought in um, you know former Superman. They brought in the, the actress who played Supergirl in that terrible movie that was spun off of the Christopher Reeve series. She was actually in Supergirl as well. So they kind of, oh as Easter eggs, no, but they, they do a good job, re, cool. you know, putting That's these cool. in as Easter eggs. They, I, I like it. They acknowledge their, their history. Um, but right. yeah, so back I'm, to that. I'm going like, to say this. Oh, good. I'm going to say this. If yeah. this show brings on, I believe his name is Shamar Moore, the guy who was in Birds of Prey, who is now yes. on Criminal Minds, if he yes. comes to this show, I'm, I, you know what? I'm gonna change my tune because I think that that guy adds class and brilliance to anything he's in, and all I've ever seen is him in those two roles. Doesn't matter. He's really yeah, good. no, he's he's badass. He he's pretty badass mm-hmm. in whatever he does. So yeah, I think that would add some, uh, as Kiefer Sutherland would say, gravitas to. Uh, he made that whole. Show. He made that Criminal Mind show. He was he's phenomenal in that show. Oh, it's been it's fantastic. Yeah, he's got he's so charming. He's just got such mm-hmm. wonderful charm. Actually, could could we just talk about him in this segment instead of Batwoman unless he comes to Batwoman? <laughs> All right, well, I'll listen, do some research. I'll, <laughs> we'll we'll push to see if we get uh you know get him paired maybe on the show one day, who knows? But I, I, I kind of like I, I like Ryan's fight, Ryan being the new Batwoman. She ends up suiting up mm-hmm. because she goes to this rally to uh, to be the Batwoman and to give the people what they want and whatever, but she's trying to keep a distance. And I think Luke Fox actually has a pretty good, funny line. I don't know if you caught it when they're deciding wh- who's going to go in the Batwoman suit and go over there. And uh, and you know, there's and she's like, "Yeah, I, I should do it." And Luke's like, "No, no, you really shouldn't." And then the you know they're like, "Yeah, you should do it." And Luke's like, "Um, hello, Black. Like, you shouldn't be there. You know she, <laughs> yes. she's not. Yes, they they're did. not going to know it's not it's the same Batwoman." So um, no, I thought that was that was a pretty funny thing, and Luke had like one of the, the last of the episode, uh, and they're all like, uh, "Yeah, but you can keep a distance now." Uh, but the, yeah. another thing too, like the, like Kate Kane is as Batwoman, she also made her like very public. It was almost like she was Batman and Batman Forever. It was like, "Hey, everybody, I'm Batman. Come into the game. You want, you want to do an interview and stuff like that." So yeah, that's why Batwoman that. card swipe. Oh yeah, exactly. Never uh, leave home without it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of dug that. I think Ryan's fire history, like you said, is a pretty interesting take that, you know, she's been in and out of, like, prison at times, and she's been around these people, and she she pitches that to them to say, this is why I should be, you know, your new Batwoman. Like, I can give a different angle and a different understanding to help in the city, you know, than Kate had. And I thought that was, that was pretty cool, and they established her prior history with Sophie because she had run-ins. She's been arrested by Sophie before. And she has a history with the crows, and uh, she also has a history with Kate as Batwoman, as they they showed on the show that Kate saved her on Halloween a year ago while Kate was there, and then Kate from that uh, interaction, like uh, one thing Kate was doing was she was writing to like Bruce in like a um, it was like a memoir or a novel or something like that. I don't know. She's writing notes every episode to Bruce, hoping that he's going to find it one day. And, sh- and Sophie at the towards the end finds this book. And she's like, all right. And she happens to flip to a new page. And of course, you know, turning the page right, right, on, right, right. on the nose. And she, she goes ahead and she starts writing her entry, writing to Kate instead. Because Kate is now the one who's missing. 
I also kind of, it was kind of a bummer because now I'm like right now we're really we're really pushing Bruce's disappearance really back to the side. So we're really never gonna ever remember. like we, we, I think I think the writers are hoping to forget it because they're gonna hope they never have to answer that question and they're hoping the fans are gonna be like listen Kate's the missing one now not Bruce focus on Ryan like you got the head writer telling these guys look we're all getting canceled before anyone realizes Bruce Wayne is nowhere around here okay. Yeah. So that that I mean, is that is that's what you call wishful thinking. <laughs> well, I mean, but I, you know, I, I think there was I think there was some redeeming qualities to it. I didn't absolutely hate the episode. Things I didn't like were Alice's plan to poison uh, the Batwoman rally to get the attention of uh, who they're the character they're building up as to be the big bad is Sophia. Seemed a little bit goofy to mm. me, and but apparently worked though because at the end of the episode, Sophia sends one of her you know, goons or whatever to go kidnap Alice. And she does like hit her really hard. And like, you know, it looks like she's been abducted and you would assume she's going to this Sophia. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And um, in the first season, there was no Batmobile or mention of it ever. And now two episodes in, we've seen this version of the Batmobile now, which is just a black Corvette, I guess. And I, and my, my friend, I think you missed the very important, Important moment in the first episode where he where where Hush found this because that was Hush right the be uh, the first one where he literally just goes well I've got this explosive gun if I just shoot at walls randomly one of them will open up the Batmobile so it, it I don't know like how you missed like that Arkham. it was a moment <laughs> I was trying to forget it I think I was it was kind of like somebody randomly playing Arkham Asylum and just started shooting things to try to find like the right. the hidden uh, weapon you need for that next stage. And I guess he eventually did. I'm glad Hush is gone. Trust me. I'm glad that they ended that. I think they maybe have been to do... I mean, if I had more faith in the writers to do some cool stuff with a fake Bruce Wayne running around, I would have been kind of bummed that they killed him off so quickly. But I don't. So I'm glad that's kind of moved on. But, like, Kate used a bat cycle a lot in her season. But now they're switching it to Ryan using the Batmobile. I think it's, like, the laziest Batmobile. It's, like I said, just a black Corvette. And that's it. I mean, I think it has a turbine engine. I don't even recall, but whatever. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of crappy. And another weird thing that this show seems to do is like GCPD doesn't exist. Like the crows are GCPD. Oh, right. Like, why do they that's have the point. authority? I didn't think about that. Yeah, they arrest everyone, they interrogate everyone, they do this whole thing. Like, and GCPD is just like, ah, we went to the deli and we never came back. We're with Bruce. Maybe GCPD. All right, I got it. I, got it. I, I know what happened. I'm writers, Batwoman writers. If you are, if you actually hear this, then listen. This is this is what it could be. We're gonna take us a, a cue from The Dark Knight Rises. We're gonna say that Commissioner Gordon or Loeb or whoever's the commissioner at this point, I don't recall. They he took all of GCPD and told them to go find Batman, the entire police force, <laughs> and sent them away to go find Batman. Yeah, they sent the entire the entire department underground. Yes, that's solid. That's solid policing right there. Yes. Solid policing. Hey. Yes, that that's now that is a commissioner that I want running things. Oh yeah, you know? definitely. When we get to Dark Knight Rises, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna have some fun poking some serious holes into that one, but that was that out. was one of them. Yeah, oh, I'm sure the three of us we're gonna we're gonna have a field day with that. Mm-hmm. I still love that movie, though. I will. I, it's the worst of the three, but I still love it. 
I don't hate it. I just think that there's a lot of missed opportunities, and I understand it's coming off Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, which it seemed like it was like elevating, elevating, and all of a sudden, like, wait, what happened? Well, you know, you also remember that that wasn't the original story for the third movie. They had to redo it. After. I get it, but yeah, still, come on. You know, yeah. yeah, well, look, it, you know, and they also, they, they ran into the writer's strike. Um, so there, that was, you know, and that was pushed back, you know. Uh, yeah. I think it was pushed back a year or two after after Heath Ledger passed away. So it was, you know, it it definitely wasn't the original story. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I think that he did, you know, a decent job, but you know, it was definitely not no nowhere near as 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 good as the first two. The first two were just, you know, magnificent. Yeah, yeah I mean, they were essentially flawless or whatever. So you know, boss man likes. Doesn't like the Manfred stuff, but he's good with Vince or Kevin Feige, which I kind of felt he would he would roll in with that. Um, I think Vince is good for him. Yeah, I, like I think Vince. so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll he'll pop on the show at some point uh, when we're you know when when he fe- he sees the hero that Granny's t- Peach Tea needs, he's gonna he'll pop in. <laughs> um, what? A- <laughs> To close out our like CW verse section of this, since they're only running the one show right now, did you guys have a chance to catch the Black Lightning trailer or the Superman and Lois trailer? By any chance or not really? No, no not really. Sorry. Well, when you the, get poster, it, the poster looks cool. Yeah, Black Lightning poster does look cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm. I think it's. I think Superman and Lois. I was hyped for it already. Trailer since they dropped a real trailer, I think it got me a little bit more excited for it. Is since it does have some like Man of Steel vibes to it, tying in, um, yeah. you know. And then I, I I think it does that, but it says it is a slightly different spin on it, and it, it looks like the budget seems a bit higher than some of the other DC. I mean uh, the CW verse shows. So I, I don't know. So. We'll see. I, I mean, so. listen, the shows are what they are. It's TV. You're only going to X amount of budget. But, like, when they did that crossover a few years ago, when they did uh, – Jason, I don't know if you, got, if you saw Crisis on Earth X. I like, never got to it. I fell off CW before then. Oh, that's fine. If you get a chance, just watch Crisis on Earth X. Dude, you can see from every single thing that they were like, let's raise the budget, like, five times for this. And they made it like a movie. Well, they're gonna have to. If if DC wants to start making these shows, you know, which they're gonna need to do for HBO Max, and they're gonna start and they're gonna compete with with Disney Plus, they're gonna have to raise the bar because, yeah. you know, you you see the Mandalorian, and you saw even la- you know last night with uh, with you know not last night but over the weekend with WandaVision, you you see what they're what they've put into those shows. They're mini movies. And yeah. I, I'm sure that Falcon Winter Soldier is going to be the same thing. Loki looks to be the same thing. So, you know, they're going to have to they're going to have to up that because there's no way they're going to keep up otherwise. Yeah, and and when you guys do get around to it, when you get to seeing when you get to see Titans, and you get to see uh, Doom Patrol, and then uh, even Star Girl, which was a DC Universe show that moved to uh, they're moving it to CW now going forward. Star Girl, the first season is on HBO Max. You can see, like, they they were like, "Wow, right, we're gonna we're gonna really increase the budget on these things." So you can tell the difference. Even Swamp Thing, for my issues with it, because that was another DC Universe show that got moved to CW. You can kind of see that it was it was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit more than the other ones. But uh, if you guys get a chance or anyone watching, uh, check out the 
trailer for Superman and Lois. Well, that is a show that I'm pretty excited to cover on here. And we'll probably end up having a CW-verse segment and maybe just, you know, we'll jump into all those shows here and there. Um, and we'll see what the future of, uh, of Batwoman holds, you know, by that point. Um, all right, so shifting gears to the MCU, uh, we got WandaVision. We got the third episode of WandaVision. Uh, dropped on Disney Plus last Friday. Um, we can jump around with overall thoughts, but I, I did want to mention something last week quickly before I, which I kind of forgot. Are you, am I the only one who got like super excited in the beginning of each episode once that Marvel Studios intro hits? And you get the I, you music and everything you like? I, bro, I was, gonna, I was actually going to mention this because I did, I did, I, I did notice it with the first episode. Yeah. The the new intro is phenomenal, right? They added into the added into the parts of Endgame, you know, important segments. You saw, you know, the the Cap uh, that you see them, you know, going through the you know the quantum tunnel. You see, you know, Cap with Molnir. I mean, it's just it's it's so it's it's typical Marvel. They just they 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 find the right thing to put in and they, they put it into the right spot. It looks perfect. It's, it's, you know, you notice it right away. You know, anybody who's seen these movies over and over again, you, anytime they make any little change, you recognize it. But I, I thought, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll tell you something with that opening on Pavlov's dog, man. I am so conditioned <laughs> to get excited. Like mm -hmm. I heard it. Like I, I told you guys, I rewatched WandaVision right before we met up. And on the second viewing of WandaVision, I heard that and I went, Something good is happening because that is my reaction to that. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I I couldn't agree more. As soon as I hear that, I could hear it from three rooms away and you'd be coming in. What, what's going on? What's happening? What, 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 what are we watching? Excitement. <laughs> if, if I had a tail, it'd be wagon. That's, that's all I can tell you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, man. It's like goosebumps. Like, yes, mm -hmm. let's let's go. Time to time to be hyped up now. Let's let's do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I guess let's let's jump around overall thoughts, and then we'll kind of like dig into details. Uh, Tony, what what were your thoughts on the third episode? Uh, I well, it was starting to see. We're obviously starting to see a pattern. I love, I, I you know, I love the episode. Um, I really like where this thing is going. Um, I think that you know we're noticing a pattern that each episode is becoming more and more chaotic. Where the first one was very smooth, where we were all like, well. Well, what are we watching here? Because it was, you know, up until the last five minutes, everything seemed, you know, fairly, fairly normal, kind of buttoned up kind of a thing. And then the second episode, a little bit more. And then this, then this episode, you could see that there's, there are definitely cracks starting to form in this whole thing. And if we had any, if we had any doubts that this was not heading towards the house of M, I think they were all erased after watching this episode. They are clearly going in that direction. Um, it is, it was just, it was, it's really well done. It, it's, it's, it's visually beautiful to watch. You know, it's, 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 it, you know, the, the, the CGI is done so well. And, you know, these two have tremendous chemistry as we've seen. And, you know, we're starting to see more and more. I, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen has kind of been an afterthought through most of, you know, the MCU. You know, you, you know, she pops in, she pops there, whatever. But she has been spectacular in this series. She has really, you could see, you know, now, you know, the, uh, you know, the anger behind her. You saw that when, you know, she had that little exchange with Geraldine. And I, I just, I, I thought this episode was fantastic. I really did. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I agree on a lot of those points. Um, and I think uh, it was Kevin Smith on his on his podcast or on Twitter. 
he was talking about Elizabeth Olsen should, you know, be like, you know, she should receive like an Emmy or something like that, like an award. And this episode is the one that like really pushed her, pushed his opinion over. And it's only episode three. Can you imagine what they're going to do in the next five hours of this? I mean, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, we got a, we got a, we got a little bit of ways to go. Mm. Um, by the way, so Jason, before we get to you, my uh, partner in crime for Empire 161, that's Tim. So I guess his Facebook's probably reading him as that, as the administrator to that. Greetings, Tim. Tim had, a, Greetings, Tim had uh, his uh, Just Too Sweet show right before us. He, he, was, he was the lead-in for this. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like a multiverse thing, too. I have the my other show talking to me on this show. That's, that's kind of bizarre. But... <laughs> It's you know we'll see how that is. It's I think it's hilarious. I think it should keep going, Tim. Uh, Jason, so what were your overall thoughts on on episode three of Wandavision? I mean, I love this episode. I loved it even more than the last two. I uh, I agree everything you guys said about uh, about uh, Elizabeth Olsen. I keep wanting to call her Brie Olsen. It's not. It's Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, like I I can't I can't speak enough to how much I love her acting in this, as well as Bettany's acting. I think yeah. they are both so good, and they are both people that I have watched the Marvel movies and gone, I want more of those. And when Vision dies in Infinity War, I was like, oh, but oh, but I wanted more of Paul Bettany as Vision. I really liked him. So getting to see this more comedic version of him, and he's funny in this. I mean, they both are very funny in this. Um, I would kill for Paul for his like windswept 70s hair. That's all I could think about the whole episode was his windswept seventies hair. But I, but like I, but seriously, like I think they're 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 so good together. I'm so glad to see them have something of their own as actors uh, to really come into their own in the MCU in a way I don't think they were able to do in the movies. And my God, the end of this episode, like just from from the moments when uh, I mean we're doing spoilers, right? Obviously. Oh yeah, I mean, listen. This. Anyone listening to the show, okay. yeah. Before, if you, we're gonna, we're okay. always gonna talk about this stuff as if you've seen it. Because if you haven't seen it, just put the sh come back to us at whatever point it is you finish watching the episode. Because all our all our shows are gonna be spoilerific, spoiler tactic, whatever the heck you want to call it. Yeah, I know we didn't say it in the beginning of Batwoman. I, I didn't really catch it because who's watching Batwoman besides me and you? Not even Tony. But uh, I figured we, we needed we to address right it here in WandaVision. <laughs> but uh, but no, but but in all seriousness, like so from the moment when Vision uh, has the like the weird interaction with the neighbors and they're asking about Geraldine, on, I was like, wow, wow. Wow. And there's so much going on in just the sense it's there's some very small things too. Like, and, and I've noticed this throughout. So I'm going to make a prediction here. I think Vision is going to be the protagonist and Wanda is going to wind up to be the antagonist. And I think the reason for that is because in every episode, Vision, like Vision's journey is the town's journey in the sitcom. He almost finds out what's going on, but through the magic of TV, he's subverted and he loses it, right? But you know what he doesn't do when he goes back inside at the end? He doesn't push where Geraldine is. She doesn't realize that he had that conversation. And so I think what we're going to see is Vision being more wary of what's going on. And I, I just... I. I got so excited by the end of that episode, and then when they tossed Geraldine out, and I was just like, "Wow, what's going on?" Like it was just—I cannot stress how much I, I'm loving this this show. 
Yeah, no, it's it's been pretty it's been pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I mean, this episode, you know, as much as I've enjoyed the first two, this one was my favorite episode too. I think it really furthers the plot along. Uh, as a certain peeled, you know, they really peeled back, you know, the curtain. You want to say like on whatever the mystery is that's going on here, um, from the the neighbors acting really strange. You know, starting with uh, the first guy who's like, oh yeah, you know, Vision sees him cutting the hedges and he's like cutting through the wall. And yeah, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, it looks like I have. And but he keeps cutting, yep. and he doesn't and he stop. Keeps he keeps going. Nope. And then like, you, if you notice, the backgrounds on both sides of the house are like super fake, and obviously that's on purpose that they they had <laughs> yeah. it where it's just like you know an old six, uh, I guess late sixties, early seventies. Because I don't know, there was definitely a lot of like uh, Brady Bunch, Bewitched. You know, well, like Brady that, Bunch was that was the house, you know, yeah. with the with the stairs that way. That was definitely the Brady Bunch house. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you 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 younger guys may not be as up to date on that stuff, but I was definitely <laughs> that was the first thing I thought, like, oh god, they took the Brady Bunch house. Hey me me and Jason had and Nick at night. So Okay. You know, yep. <laughs> we had that stuff. Um yeah, so we we got that and by the way, what was what was the fruit that it was like Vision said he wanted to be a Papa Aya? Was a papaya, yeah, papaya or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a joke. That was hilarious. Yeah, I love, I love when Paul Bettany as Vision makes those jokes because they are funny because they are not funny. It's just such a perfect thing because, like, if you were watching them in a sitcom, you'd go, "Who's writing this?" But the fact that it's Vision delivering this terrible sitcom line as Vision, it's like, oh, this is so cool. Well, and this is the other part of it is that you know that that's all Wanda doing that because you know if you remember oh, yeah. from the movies he had no sense of humor he had none of that he was just he was just analytical he was he was a robot and he didn't really have that I mean you know as he evolved you saw him a little bit in Infinity War before they ripped his head apart that mm -hmm. um, you know that he would he, he would make the occasional more human um, you know speeches to her and you know you could tell that he was definitely in love with her but there there was no um there there was no humor that that anything that had to do with uh you know with vision so that's that's definitely Wanda adding that part that that into you know making him as normal as possible I'm assuming well I mean Tony you essentially cued me up for for the next point that there is that like you know when you guys mentioned that you know once they're on that on the couch you know and by the way not that we're just going to gloss over this part of it though but like throughout the episode so far Wanda's pregnant Vision runs and goes to get the doctor at like super fast speed and everything like that and checks her out and then, like everyone knows it's weird and stuff like that. But then Vision and her on the couch sitting down talking, you know, and he Vision's like, hey, you know, it like gets real serious. And it's like, you know, there is definitely something wrong here, Wanda. And then she kind of gives that look again. And all of a sudden, bloop, rewound. He forgets he had the conversation and they're and they're talking again. So yeah, we've seen that he's in, that Wanda's in full control of that. But and that she doesn't of, even she doesn't even rewind it this time. She just cut it. Lips it. So yeah. She just cut cuts it and then goes right back to that start of that scene again and then goes right into it. So she doesn't even she doesn't even rewind. She just said no, I don't like this and shoop, cut it yeah. out and, and started it again. So yeah, and that's what she's doing the whole time. Anything she doesn't like, I mean, they reaffirmed that and it keeps. We'll get when we get to the end of the episode. We'll get to like where well, really. If you weren't catching on to that, I mean, they just slap you in the face with it at the end. Um, but no, like Wanda definitely rewinds it and stuff. And it started to make me think a lot, though. Like, 
the interactions with Wanda and Vision during the during the, each episode, though, and if you notice, you know he well obviously this is yellow here, but it's like Vision having the Mind Stone still. We know he does not have the Mind Stone as it was destroyed, and then Cap returned them because Cap's a good dude, and he returned all the stones where they had to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what makes me really think about it, though. Like, is Vision actually in this? reality or simulation that Wanda is obviously we're we're all we're all on the same page that Wanda's in full control of this and she's calling the shots and that we mm-hmm. believe that people like sword agents and things like that are trying to get in poke holes into this and trying to get to her. But the questions are with vision is because vision he appears like Wanda would last remember him in Infinity War prior to Thanos getting to him. So I think with the Mind Stone that's her the way she saw it, not really there. And I started to wonder, though, is his, like, operating system or AI or whatever it is, you you know, the Jarvis that was put into him, is that somehow actually uploaded into this whole thing? Or did Wanda get a hold of it? Or is Vision completely... That's what I was like. I don't think uh, Wanda's completely creating Vision and, like, puppeting him. I kind of think that some of it is there because he keeps questioning her every so often. What, What do you guys think? No, I I agree. I think I was thinking about this that I don't think it's like it's the vision that we know, right? It's not like because he's dead, right? That vision is destroyed. But I think it's it's something maybe because again, her powers are so ill-defined that I think you can really make her do whatever the story necessitates. So maybe she was able because he had the mind stone on. He had the mind stone, right? That was that was the one he yeah, had. Yeah, he had the mind stone. Yeah, I was yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe there was some sort of imprint in the Mind Stone that she was able to somehow bring into herself, or maybe, as you said, there's an AI. I definitely think it's Vision's thinking, but not vi- like physical Vision that we know of, and and I think that's okay. what's going to happen. So I definitely think the mind, his mind, is there because if it was all her construct, he wouldn't be breaking through it himself. Yeah. yeah, I you know I, I don't I don't know because you see this is the thing she's in total control of this okay you you've seen it okay you saw the ejection of Monica Rambeau which you know again if we had any questions burying the that, lead <laughs> what what's that I said Tony burying the lead here go ahead no, I'm so <laughs> sorry about sorry about that no, go but, ahead yeah, you know but her get her getting tossed I mean you know you. The, the cutting of the scenes, the rewinding, all of that, you definitely know that she's in control. Now, you don't know whether it was her that actually created this world or if somebody put her there and it's just and she's the one that's that's working this whole thing out on the inside. And that if that's the reason why she's there. Remember, if you go back to the episode before this, there was who Wanda, who's doing this to you? Why yeah. is this happening? So if this if this situation is that she's creating this world because someone has put you know, put something in, you know, given her the ability in order to do this, that could be, that could make, you know, that could make more sense. Is, is she, is she filling this subconscious with her own, you know, with, with her own thoughts about who things, you know, are knowing that vision would eventually start to question that things are wrong or whatnot or whatever. And then she just kind of, you know, and not just smack him back into reality, but, you know, yeah. basically just cut that part out and say, okay, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is the way that it's supposed to be, you know, but it could be her just projecting the fact that he would be that analytical kind, like, hey, you know what, something's not right here. And then she's like, nope, 
and then comes back and say, this is really what I want him to say. And that's exactly what he says. And you could see the look on her faces when he does say that, like, oh, that was the perfect thing to say. So yeah. I, I, it, it's, it looks to me as if, you know, she's letting her thought of who he actually is and who she wants him to be, to be, you know, that's, that's kind of the, you know, the line in the sand here. So you think she, you think that she is completely, I don't know, for lack of a better term, projecting vision to how, you know, she's, she is puppeting him. Like she's kind of like in fully in charge of him and, and that's that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I would love to know, you know, not, one of the things that was never touched on was what happened to vision after infinity war. Now, obviously nobody did much with him because they were kind of tied up, yeah. but you know, nothing about Vision was discovered was was discussed after Infinity War, so we don't know what happened to him. Maybe that's put in there. Maybe the fact that you know they brought him back to, you know, I mean, maybe they brought him back to Avengers headquarters. You know, maybe Banner worked with him. Maybe they started to whatever the case may be. No. Who knows? But I, you know, I would love to know that story, but nothing was ever mentioned. So either they're going to go in this direction, or I think at some point or another we're going to find out what happened there. Yeah, I definitely think so. By the way, Tim, with the shout out to Kitty Carriol in episode three, and one of the uh, one of the dolls that was that was featured in the episode, I think may have been the one who was uh, because I know they had spotted out where you know they were carrying a baby or something like that on the side, and then like you know it was a doll that was there. Um, but all right, so then, I mean I, that gets to that. But then again, so her she has she does give birth. She does have two boys. They didn't know it was going to be two boys. It was one, and then. You know, a couple of months later, another one popped out, and she, you know, and she names them Billy and Tommy. And you know, for like we had briefly mentioned last week, for you know, in the comics, Billy and Tommy are the same names as of their children in the comics, and who Billy are both, you know, yeah, they they go ahead and they are, you know, infused with Mephisto's, you know, um, essence, if you want to say or, or call it that, and they're, you know, they're pretty much wiped from existence. And then reincarnated later to the heroes known as uh, Wiccan and Speed, who were mm -hmm. known more when they were with the Young Avengers. Um, right. And this appears to validate that there are similar events to the House of M storyline that are he that are heading our way. Um, and I know that's been all over, so it's not like a, a big breaking thing here by by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, we, we continue down this House of M, which I still think there's going to be a, a tweak on, per se. I don't think it's going to be a oh, direct yeah. thing. We'll get to the theories after we we round out the episode. There, oh, I'm sorry, Tim. Uh, Tim, yeah. and by the way, Tim in with the save, right there. The one Vision was practicing changing the diapers on was Cindy's Cindy ah, yes. doll. Yeah, there you go. Look there at you really. go. Look at Tim with the Brady Bunch drop in here. See, Tim, you could have jumped on to to slap us around with that with with that factor. Um, <laughs> No, so then, so then after that, you know, after the, the birth and stuff, where actually she's already there, Monica Rambo, uh, she she's on, she's there, she's talking with Wanda. They're having this whole conversation and everything, and then once Wanda sees that she has twins, she starts reminiscing about, you know, yeah, I had a, I was, I was a twin too, you know, uh, Pietro, because she says it, and she goes back to the, you know, to the accent right there, you know, the Sokovian accent that I know a lot of fans have been kind of bagging on her for, for having it in old Age of Ultron, and then, you know, she sort of has it in Civil War, and then it's completely gone in Infinity War. And then I know there are some people who I, – it's kind of a conclusion that I was writing it off as she was an Avenger for a while. She was with 
Scarlet, I mean, she was with uh, Black Widow. Could have just been, hey, listen, just to stay more in the cover, let's drop the accent when we need to. And she is hiding in Infinity War, so it kind of makes sense that she would drop her accent if she can. So whatever. It's, it's a detail that I know pisses some people off, but not really me because I guess I kind of invented the reason in my head. Yeah. I like to think that Vision gave her diction lessons. Like every time we don't see Vision and Scarlet Witch in the MCU, Vision is like, uh, okay, now, Scarlet, the rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Repeat <laughs> it to me now. And then she has to repeat it. Like, so that's how I kind of think it happens. That's all she the the twelve year old boy and me giggled when you said that Vision gave her the diction lessons. So I just want you to be aware. <laughs> oh, it gave her the diction lessons, mate. The diction lessons. I just had to say that because I just I, as soon as you said it, like, oh yeah, he did. He played her tongue. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. Good. Fine. It's fine. Um, oh god. But so so then in that scene though, like you know, like Monica brings up. You know, starts like she knows about the twin, and she's and you know after she, she says a lullaby to the twin, and she slips up and says about it and, and mentions Ultron. Yeah, flat out, she's like, "Listen, your your brother, your twin, was murdered by Ultron," and then things totally take a different turn. She gets that serious face and it's like immediately, "Who are you?" That anger, that anger yeah. face, and that's that's the face that she had. Um, that was the face that she had when Thanos. Um, uh, when she, when Thanos was there, that was the that was the face in uh, in Endgame when she you know when she came out of nowhere eventually you know to to face Thanos one on one. So you've seen that face before, you've seen that anger before, and that was really you know the first time in this show that she she showed anything any any real emotion other than you know happiness and you know and and kind of bopping around. So that was yeah, yeah it was it was it was it was like wow that changed quick. Yeah, shit got serious like real fast. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that, but and then that's when the show, the episode takes like this whole serious, like really intense turn because then they're cutting to vision. Vision's outside, he's talking to the neighbors, he's talking to Agnes. And I'm sorry, the other neighbor who was sawing through his wall kind of herb. So, Agnes, I love her, I love her, by the way. Love, I love her, love her. Herb is great. Hope there's hope there's a spot for him somewhere down the line where he could do something because I love Herb. Well, I mean, it could be because apparently he knows, and he's almost going to spill the beans to Vision out there. Mm-hmm. And Agnes immediately is like, "No," and that's us asking questions but, about. But I don't want to ask you about it. That it, it, her face was not a face of anger or sternness. Her face was was a face of terror. She was terrified. Like, yeah. don't tell him. Yep. Don't tell him. That is not a good idea. That is not a good idea. And I don't think that they were. And her terror. And her. You know, her being terrified like that and her reaction has nothing to do with Vision. I think that has everything to do with Wanda. Like she knows. Like, mm-hmm. hey, don't piss this bitch off because this is gonna be. This is gonna be bad. So that's that. That has everything to do with Wanda because they're all aware of what she's capable of they're all aware of it or or she she's obviously aware she is terrified but maybe perhaps not of wanda but perhaps of the person who's really pulling the string that's definitely possible too 
Yeah, if this is, is going down the Mephisto line, yeah. then yes, that could definitely be it. Absolutely. If, if she, and I'm fully convinced now. I am all in that she is Agatha Harkness from you know from the comics. Who again, if someone may not know, she is uh, she is a Salem witch who eventually acts as like a, a mentor to Wanda. So I think we you know if she is, we might find out that that's how she was perhaps given the ability to create this whole thing. Um. And maybe the husband Ralph, who keeps getting name dropped, is Mephisto. Is maybe the one who's really pulling it. He keeps That's getting, yeah, possible. He keeps getting name dropped, and nothing's going on. What here. did she? What did she say? What did she say when when Vision came outside? Didn't she say something? Isn't she? Didn't she say something like Ralph's afraid of the dark or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah, the power yeah, yeah. She made it. She did make a reference, uh, uh, and it's not a typical reference that she had made of Ralph before. You know, I, I noticed that she said that when he walked outside. Yeah, and apparently, you know, Jader, who, who's from the Kyle and Jader show on Pop Culture Pros, is is joining us right now, and he he's he's all in with it too. Agnes is the villain, and she, you know, she is Agatha Harkness, who I agree, Jader could be the main villain. Or is working alongside with Mephisto, you know, like kind of like the you know the which what happened in the comics in the in the House of M route. I, I think there's there's definitely something there. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent in that sold that Mephisto is her husband. I think that's just something that's kind of a possibility that we keep getting a, a character name dropped and she's the only one who keeps dropping it, and it, it doesn't seem to be going away there. And it's a character we haven't seen. But yeah, I'm I'm with Jader. Agatha Harkness, I'd be shocked if that's not who it is. I would be and completely she's, and shocked. She's, and she's mentioned, that Ralph, she's mentioned Ralph in every episode so far. Every yep. every episode has gotten a Ralph, a Ralph name drop. Yeah. So, well, I think let me that ask whole you, thing happens, ask. and then we, we cut back. No, I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to know what you guys thought thought like because at the end of these episodes, you know, they 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 cut short. You know, you obviously it's you know this one was only what was only about 35 minutes long, right? This was one of the shorter ones, and yeah. you know, yeah. knowing that you're not going to get the show until next week, they don't give you any any preview into what's happening in the next episode. Like no, you know, like no two second, no five second synopsis, no vision into, you know, pardon the pun, but no vision into what's going to happen in the next episode. It just cuts it and then boom, it's, that's the end of it. And I love that because if I got just that little tidbit of what's going to happen next, I would start putting that shit together in my head. And I'm actually happy that it ends and then done. And then wait till next Friday and see what happens. I, I I love that about this. What do you guys think? I like the fact that there's no you know coming soon or you know next week on Wandavision thing. I think mm -hmm. that's I think it's pretty smart. The only trailers we the real trailers we've gotten were prior, so you could uh, you can't really put much together from that unless you know. The only thing you know is that these sitcoms are going to keep going on in time and going forward in the 80s and 90s. That's all we really know, but we don't know too much. Uh, Jader here, you know, also is dropping in that we're on the same page as he's on the same page as us, and that he he's also in on the, the Mephisto thing here, and that uh, Peter Stormare, Saramar is playing Mephisto as well, which you know it it, it could it could Let be me there. Tell you if uh, Jader, if Peter Stormare shows up as Mephisto, that part of my nerd brain that loves that movie Constantine because I love that movie Constantine, it's going to go. Oh, is it Again. Uh -huh. And I will be very uh -huh. excited. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. That, that would be that would be pretty sick. Uh, Carlos was dropping into uh, awesome. mine and Jason's old high school buddy here. The only preview like information Carlos. that has been given is in a series of the trailers. Right, so, right, and it's and it's very very little. It's very little because I'll be honest with you. When I watched when I watched the trailers for this show, you know, did I you know did did I think that this was going to be the road that they were going to go on? Yes, absolutely. I thought for you know this was definitely going to be the road they were going to go on. I did not think that this is how they were going to get there though. I really didn't. This was this has yeah. been done so so well to this point. I, I can't. I I really have nothing to complain about with the, with the way that the show has been written, the way it's been acted. It is it has been a wild ride to get to how they've gotten to this point already, and I I can't. I want more. I really I want more. I, it pisses me off that I have to wait a week in order to get the next episode. I I, I really enjoy watching the show. I really do. So, so let me ask you guys quick though before before we continue. Uh, which, by the way, uh, another the other co-host of uh, Just Too Sweet is uh, Eric is in here. Uh, I agree. I like the anticipation of waiting too, and he's all in for Mephisto. So, apparently, we're we're all in on it. Everyone's kind of seeing the same thing here. So, we'll see how it plays out. There might be a bit of uh, a letdown, I guess, if there is no Mephisto. But mm. we'll we'll see. No, I mean, no, no. If, they typically if there is don't no let Mephisto, us down. Yeah, if there is no Mephisto, they're going to give us something even better, and we're going to go, I can't believe we didn't see that coming. Mephisto exactly. was so yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> and, and they, they don't they don't typically let us down. I mean, and yeah. I'm not talking just about Mephisto, but if we're, we're this excited to get to this point, I guarantee you they got a big finish for this because they have built it up really, really well to this point. Yeah, and before we move along, though, just quickly, do you – I'm sorry, go ahead, Jason. No, I wanted to bring up something before we got too far away because we were talking about the end, right? When yeah. uh, I'm, I knew the character's name before, I'm blanking on it. When the when the woman was expelled from the town, uh, what's her name again? Geraldine. Thank you. Terrible, terrible names. Rambo. So uh, uh, there you go. Um, yeah. I'm glad I watched it twice because the first time I watched it, I said to myself, you know, if she's in here on business. And and she's trying to figure out what's going on. It's really like stupid of her to like drop Ultron and and Piotr, right? But then I realized on the second to the second run through, she doesn't or they don't on the outside yet realize Wanda has something to do with it, and that made it so much better for me at the end when they were all swarming and she's lying there because I'm like, oh, she didn't mess up. She thought that she was having a moment with an Avenger, like, hey, I'm here to help you, and that Avenger went, get the hell out of my fantasy. And so, like, I'm really happy I saw that on the second round because it added something to it for me. So what, I'm th what I was going to ask you guys quick, though, before we, we get to the end part of it, and then uh, we'll, we'll get to the Hydrosil commercial as well. Um, do you guys prefer streamers dropping an entire season at once? Or do you prefer the week-by-week, episode-a-week type thing to kind of keep the conversation going, like what we're doing uh, with our show or, you know, because I kind of feel like when you when they drop an entire season at once, you push through, you binge it. Kind of like I, I literally watched Cobra Kai season three on New Year's Day in one sitting, breezed through it, was excited about it for like a day or two. And then it was like, all right, call me back when season four starts. Do you guys like the episode of the week or do you like having it all you know, handed to you at once? Well, I. I, I we as we talked about last week, I, I watched the Mandalorian uh in, in, in one sitting because I waited so goddamn long yeah. to watch it. But um that being said, I really enjoyed it because I was able to kind of push through all the episodes and you know, and I really and I really enjoyed it. So 
from that aspect, yes, I really enjoyed watching The Mandalorian. Now, it sucks that I have to wait a year to watch another new episode of The Mandalorian. So mm-hmm. that that being said, now watching this show the way that I'm watching it week by week by week, I like the idea of the two episodes last week to kind of get things going, which in this in this show, 1,000% had to happen. They had to do it that way because if you had left people off that first episode, you would have lost you would have lost people, and that would have been a shame because they wouldn't have gotten to this point. So they had to drop the two episodes right off the bat. The second this this second week was, you know, like the, you know, you re- now you're really into it, and you're really into it in week two. So I I think that obviously I'm saying this outside of this show. I do yeah. like watching it one one show one episode per week and kind of expanding it out, especially that we know that it's going to be more content after that and then more content after that. So yes, I do really like that. It's as much as I enjoyed sitting and watching all eight episodes of season two of the Mandalorian. This is definitely, especially the way this show is written. This is definitely the way to go. Yeah. Jason, where, where are you at with our uh, shows? Do you kind of like the binge or I I'm a binge guy. Like, I uh I don't know when I was 22 I bought my first like season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and binged it and it ruined me for television forever because <laughs> and then Netflix came so now I am programmed to binge like I literally will wait for something to be over like a 22 episode season I'll go I'll catch it on Netflix like you know all like three days but I think Tony's completely right. This show is not meant to be binged. It's not written to be binged. I don't think we'd be getting out of it what we're supposed to get out of it if it was just dropped and we watched it straight through and through. Because I think part of what Marvel's trying to do, A, is replicate now this television experience via the sitcom, right? Where it is a once a week thing. And B, they're trying to do some stuff that is so subtle that if we binge watched it all in two days, we wouldn't catch a lot of the subtlety. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing this one week to week. And I, and honestly, this is a show that you need to watch each episode more than once because there's way too much stuff yeah. that, like you said, is innuendo and is just subtle, this and that and everything else. So it was definitely the way this is the way to watch. This was the way it was meant to be watched: was episode by episode, week by week. And that second, that second viewing is sometimes so important because I, when I rewatched the first two episodes, I was like, "Well, I, I, I didn't see that." And oh, oh, I, I thought that's what I saw because you need, but you really need that. And if, like you said, if you're binging, you're like, "Next one, next one, next yeah. one." You can mm-hmm. do that once the show ends. But right, and I'll, and I definitely will do it that way. Watch them back to back to back to back. But this way is that it's being done right now. I, in my opinion, is the is the way this was was written to be done. Yeah. So Tim Tim's Agreed. dropping in a com- another comment here. Waiting for Mandalorian was a t- was torture. I don't mind waiting for this. I mean, me and, and I said me and Tim on on Empire One Six One. We we did weekly reviews of the Mandalorian and discussed it <laughs> until we couldn't discuss it anymore. Um, I like the waiting the week for it. Besides the fact that I'm doing shows for these things. But, uh, I mean, that also helps. But, uh, no, I kind of like the anticipation and the conversation of it and and, and speculating on what's going to happen and catching Easter eggs and this and that. And, you know, I, I kind of dig that. And we did that with Mandalorian. And I know you guys had a different experience with Mandalorian. But, like, I love that. I mean, you, when you guys binge it, imagine the Ahsoka Tano episode and then all of a sudden waiting a week for that. And then watching, I mean, the one we didn't have to speculate is, you know, Luke, you know, in the finale and things like that. But each thing that was happening, 
you know, like, um, you know, we, we had to wait for that. And it's, I, I, I don't know. I like the excitement of it and building up and discussing and speculating. And that's, so that's where I'm at with it. Um, but to cap off the episode of WandaVision on, on uh, episode three. So Wanda pretty much doesn't like the questioning that's going on with, uh, from Monica Rambeau and Geraldine, whatever, and then tosses her out, literally ejects her from the, from the damn thing, the simulation, her reality, whatever it was, she literally throws her out of it. She goes flying out of this, like what it looks like. It's kind of like a force field thing. And then we see the Westview sign, you know, that's there, like welcome to Westview and everything like that. Um, so we get to we get to see that, and then we see the sword agents crashing in, and you know, and and picking her up, and and, and everything like that, and seeing, and then uh, they actually uh, they were actually um, they actually had the guns trained on her because they didn't know who it was. Yeah, it could have been anyone so, getting tossed out. So that's where I was like, you know, something. Wanda has this Westview town is probably a real thing, and she has created her reality around this and is controlling this entire town via her simulation, her reality whatever the heck you want to call it so that's where i think we're at with it that she didn't she didn't change the entire mcu she didn't bend the whole reality but she is creating this controlling the reality for this section for this town which is I agree. You know, creepy in its own right Agreed. i agree i agree and i think that this is where i think that the more and more she messes with things and the deeper and deeper she gets into this is where she's gonna that's where she's gonna make create you know, uh, either 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 she's going to create the multiverse, or she's going to, as they said in the in uh, in Spider-Man: Far From Home, she there it's there's going to be uh you know a not a tear in the um is that what they described it as is that is that what Nick Fury said that there was a there was a tear in the uh, yeah. in the in the um, I think he said tear yeah something like that. yeah, yeah that something to that effect but she she is going this she look we all know how powerful she is okay we all know that so. I think that the farther and farther she gets into this is going to be how this is going to get twisted completely out of control. And that's where we're going to get our multiverse from at that point. I don't think she's there yet, but I, but I think if, if this is Mephisto, this is Mephisto's way of getting her to, you know, to completely change things. And that's, that's where this is headed. There's no question. Yeah. I was maybe giving her the ability to, I, I think the multiverse already exists in the MCU. I just think that, She's gonna. She'll find a way to really kind of like bend things out of shape, and yeah. you know, do further what she's doing now to like to more things, and that's where Doctor Strange comes in and has to, you know, help you know correct things and get things under control and, and everything like that. And yeah, she. I mean, the overall villain could be Wanda to this to this whole thing, which would be you know the the spin that that we get at the end of this. But uh, we will see. Uh, but one one thing before we shift gears. Um, so the whole sitcom aspect, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and I think the, the whole thing of why Wanda is potentially using this as her escape from reality, I'm starting to wonder, like, is this because these are shows that she watched when she was a child in Sokovia on reruns and things like that, and this is where she felt safe and happy? So she's kind of, like, thinking back to a time when she was happy and safe, and that's why she's using like the sitcom concept of her, you know, like a happy time when I had Pietro and I had this and I had that. And before all of this happened there, that's, you know, that's where it is. So that's kind of, it's kind of like a, I think it's a dark twisted way to kind of like incorporate it, but that's kind of what I was starting to think. What do you guys think of that? Yeah. My, my thought about that is, Oh, sorry. No, go Jay. No, Jay. Absolutely. Go. 
Uh, so my thought about that is uh, very similar. I don't necessarily think it's her that she grew up on these shows and it was when it reminds of when she was happier. Cause I don't think she was ever happy. Right. Like she was, uh, she was an experiment. Like her family were, was killed. Uh, Prior right, by the Tony that. Stark. I'm, I'm way behind that. Yeah. No. Oh, so you're talking, because I was thinking like, this is a woman who has seen nothing but misery and she finally gets, mm -hmm. she finds love, right. Which at the core of every sitcom and every television interaction on comedies are like the will they won't they the love the the married couple right all those 50s 60s sitcoms and i think this was the only way she knew how to recreate that feeling she had with vision and lost when he was taken from her was to sort of take their relationship and put it in this television coded way because that's how she understood it because she's not someone who experienced it outside of the the time she had in particular with vision so i think yeah. that's kind of where she's coming from it's it's this is her fantasy and her fantasy like a lot of people are informed by what we watch on television or or what there is out there in television yeah no, yeah no i i, I agree with you jason I, I think this is this is a girl like you know like you said that she's only known misery her parents were killed in the bombing uh she loses you know she's um you know she she gets picked up by by um by strucker and they they do they volunteer for these these uh experiments she becomes a scarlet witch you know she meets ultron she eventually gets turned her brother gets you know her brother is killed um she is blamed for the Sokovia, you know, accords, um, you know, she has to choose a side between, you know, between Tony and, and, uh, and cap, then, you know, everything that happens, she, she meets, she, she falls in love with vision. They have their, their, their relationship, everything that happens in infinity war. And then after Endgame, it's over, it's just, everything is over. The war is mm -hmm. over and, you know, there's nowhere to go from there for her. And I think that this, you know, the shows that they've chosen, you know, or the shows that I should, that she should say that she chose, um, I Love Lucy and, you know, Bewitched and, you know, The Brady Bunch. What a, what a one thing that those shows have in common is that they were, you know, those were shows that projected, you know, the perfect life, the perfect life of the Brady Bunch, the perfect life of, you know, kids that were come from divorced families. You have the perfect life of, you know, someone finding love with a witch, which obviously that falls exactly into this yeah. category. And then I Love Lucy, which was, you know, they were the they were the couple. They were the darling couple of TV. You know, they were immensely popular. They worked together. You know, like, you know, like Lucy and Desi were married, you know, outside of the show and they worked together on the show. So it was it's really been an epitome of everything that they've had together. So, you know, that's this is how I, th I feel like she's, you know, progressing it. It was it was the two of them together. They, you know, they work together outside. Now they're working together on the show, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Then it was being married to the witch. Now it's the Brady Bunch, which is now you bring the family element into it. So this is how she's progressing. She's progressing for each, you know, each different episode or each, you know, different topic that they field is that she's changing the show and changing you know the year that they're they're ended up watching as well so i think that has a lot that has a lot to do with it as well as her perception of what of which what of, of ever, what each thing in life is bringing them yeah so and and one other thing though that the commercial so we get another commercial in this episode which this time is for a hydro soak which is mm -hmm. soap um now this this could be a connection. It cannot be a connection to Agents of Shield. There is there's definitely something there. It could be a coincidence because remember, Agents of Shield is technically the only other MCU show that is officially canon, officially canon, canon at the moment. Mm. At the moment, and we know we're waiting on Netflix to see 
if they actually will bring them fully under the umbrella, they're like halfway. They're kind of getting soaked. They're not. They're sort of dry. We'll, we'll see where they're at with that. But so it could be in, in the Agents of Shield, uh, Jason. You may or may not have seen it. Yep, the season when they had the framework going. Um, uh, but oh, in yeah, the framework, yeah. Phil Coulson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? Okay, so you remember when Phil I Coulson actually, in the framework he was a teacher? Yes. Yeah, you remember that? So yes, they find yes, Phil actually, Coulson in the framework. Phil, we're good. No, good. You know, you, you just, well, I'm sorry, you blew my mind with that because I haven't thought about that. And now it, this makes so much sense that this technology could be brought into WandaVision that I'm sorry, I had nothing clever to say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 but wait, wait, now that you know you're on the page with me, all right? So if you remember in that season of the framework on, on, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Phil Coulson was a teacher. And as a teacher, he had these wild conspiracy theories. And people, and like Hydra, he was on Hydra's radar. And then he mentions that Hydra is controlling people. One of his wild conspiracy theories by Phil Coulson was that he Hydra was controlling people through soap. Which leads to Hydra there. And then we have wow. Hydra soap. Wow. I don't think it was a coincidence that, that that's been dropped there. All right, so Gil is here. Wow. Uh, joining us, he's another. He's a writer on uh, Pop Culture Pros, LMD baby. He believes that I don't recall when that he. I don't know if he believes who was in that LMD there. Gil, if you want to drop us another note on that before we shift gears, and see, it was in season four of Agents of Shield was the one with the framework. So yeah, that high. So the soap thing, I don't think it's a coincidence. It's you know it, it could be just a clever nod yeah. to Agents of Shield, but mm. yeah, Phil Coulson was like. No, but but also out. look. But if he, but he makes that thing in the framework, and that whole that whole commercial is about uh, get away without getting away, go someplace else without leaving your home, right? And wasn't that what the whole thing about the framework was? So I, I that's got to be intentional. There has to be some connection there. Yeah, that I don't know I, if that's I, the I same just, technology or not. I just look at the first two. I just look at the first two. Uh, commercials that they did, right? What were the first two? It was the it was the the Stark toaster, Stark toaster, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then, then it was, was the, the, uh, watch. the Strucker watch. It was the Strucker watch. So yeah. it's 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 basically, uh, I I don't know. I mean, it, it could it could it just be could it just be a fun nod, you know, to to Agents of Shield? It could be. I mean, you know, typically they don't do stuff like that, but yeah. you know, you know her tie to Tony. You know her tie to Tony. Um, mm -hmm. you know. She with uh, you know if 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 that bomb hadn't started if hadn't hadn't been there then none of this would have happened to her. Um, if you had uh, you know the Strucker if you know she wouldn't have she wouldn't have met Vision so it's it, so it's basically you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have met Vision you wouldn't have had any of this stuff happen if the if if the bombing was never there if it wasn't for, for Stark Industries then you you know the same thing with with Strucker she wouldn't have been in the position she was in if it wasn't for him so i you know could it be just foreshadowing i it, it's possible but i mean that's i didn't i i had no idea about that so that's 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 crazy that is that is literally crazy no it is and and gill apparently believes that uh he thinks sword is doing some type of test with wanda and it's starting to go off the rails I, I, thought, I thought about that after the episode, after the first episode where they showed the guy, you know, watching essentially on the monitor. Right. I, I thought about that. Mm -hmm. But going back to season, going back to episode two, when she's standing there talking to what's her name? 
the 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 the, the, the bitchy one, the the one with the blonde hair. What's her name? Um, um, when she cuts her hand. Yeah, I forget her name. Dottie, okay, Dottie. right. When she's there, yeah. when she's talking to her, when she's having that thing, and she's that's like one of the first moments where she starts to almost lose her focus, and she's mm-hmm. hearing through the radio, "Who who's doing this to you, Wanda? Who's doing it?" Mm-hmm. That to me is not. That is that's not a. That to me kind of threw me off of. You know, she's been put in this situation because they're afraid of what she's going to do. So they're yeah. basically just letting her play out this whole thing. You know, on her own. I don't. I, that's that's where at least it lost it for me. Is where you know. Where she's where she's uh, she's what's it called? She's sitting in the um, she's standing there talking to her, and she's hearing voices saying, "Who's doing this to you? Who's doing this to you?" Yeah, or or technically, maybe maybe Gil's uh, idea is right that they maybe sort of was doing an experiment and it's gone off the rails. But I still think I still fully believe in the Agatha Harkness Mephisto, you know, thing. Listen, it could all be right. It, it, the whole thing could be right. Maybe it has something to do with a simulation, and then Mephisto and Agatha Harkness got involved. Who knows? I, I think it is more of a mythical thing than than just the simulation and the framework from Agents of Shield. But I thought it was a very interesting connection that that was made there. Or you know, it could have been just been a nod and a wink. To, to I that. agree with Gilberto's comment here. By the way, everything that's in the commercials is very personal to Wanda. That is absolutely true. I agree a thousand. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. I don't think that's mm-hmm. that's a mistake by by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, Gil saying that he caught on at the noise that this hoster made in episode one mm-hmm. were missiles that killed her parents. And the beeping. Obviously- yes, yeah, the yes. Beeping. The yeah. beeping with the red light. And she said that she they watched that thing for, for, for two days. They watched that, that, that bomb sitting in front of them. They were stuck and they couldn't, they were afraid it was going to explode. So I agree with you a thousand percent there. Yeah. And, catch, you know, we, we all, yeah. And yeah, the whole Strucker watch and the connection to Strucker. Yep, you know yep. whether they they you know they gave the abilities or they unlocked the abilities because we all know mutants are coming to the MCU, so they may retcon mm-hmm. that in a way where maybe they they just say that he unlocked them. You know, well, it also or, depends upon the, if they're going to follow through with Magneto being you know her and Pietro's parents. That's that's yeah, what's exactly. going to that's what's going to come down to. Are they going to are they going to go down that road? Which would be phenomenal if they did. So I mean, I would love to see it, but I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, and Gil also has no problem with the slow build like we are. We're yeah, all enjoying it. We're loving we're it. All... He's digging every every minute of it here. Yep. Um, all right, so that gets us to the our final segment for the, for episode two. We shift gears to the DCEU. Uh, so this week's uh, – I mean, we started our, our you know discuss, DCEU discussions, which is going to be leading up to the Snyder Cut being released in March. Uh, we actually our first one. We started with the latest DCU entry in Wonder Woman 1984 last week, and now we're going to go to the beginning. So we started at the uh, current end, and we're going to jump back to the beginning with with Man of Steel, a film that we have all three of us have seen. Uh, Jason was actually just rewatched it for the first too. time this week, though. I mean, it's been a little while for me without commercials because I know TNT and whoever the hell else likes to run it a bunch, and I would jump in and jump out of it. Uh, but this is the first time in a while that I got to sit down and actually watch it uninterrupted. Um, and it's a film that I like. I, I, I've always enjoyed Man of Steel. I had it pretty high up in my DCU rankings. I think we should maybe re-rank or take a look at our DCU rankings at the end of this and see you know, where, where we're at with it. Um, Jason, why don't you why don't you start off the Man of Steel segment here, though, and get, share right. your thoughts on your experience with a rewatch after a while? All right, so 
I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that uh, I, I, I had a very similar experience watching it this time that I did the first time in the sense that I really enjoyed a great deal of it. Um, but there was stuff that I have issues with that I can't overcome. So I don't dislike this movie. I, I, I think it's it's fine. I enjoyed it. As I said, I enjoyed a great deal of it. Um, but I think my, my my problem with this movie is it doesn't feel like a Superman movie to me. It, we were talking about Elseworlds before, Ed uh, and Tony, and it, it, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like this is like an Elseworlds where Clark Kent is raised by a bitter isolationist father who tells him, no, truth, justice, and the American way is not what you do. You put your head down, you let people die to protect your secret. And this whole movie for me was him overcoming that terrible advice his father gave him. And, 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 you know, it's the movie and it's fine. There's some great stuff. I think like, I really enjoy the stuff in the beginning where he like when he washes up on the town after like the whole ex uh, explosion with the um where he saves all those people on the tanker and he washes up in the town he's like all right i'll just start here like whatever like there's some stuff i like i do like some character choices that uh they make i like henry cavill a lot uh i don't my, my issues with this movie have nothing to do with him um it it really just comes down to it just I like it's a bleak movie. It's a very bleak movie, and I think intentionally so. Like, and and I guess where I stop enjoying this movie because again, there's a lot to like, and and I'll tell you right up until, right up until the attack on uh, by Zod on uh, on uh, Metropolis, I'm still in this movie, but that that fight scene at the end is too bleak for me, and and there's just. There's so much 9-11 imagery. And again, I want to say that I think it's it's it was purposeful, right? Yeah. Uh, and I just think I, I just think it's too much 9-11 imagery in my Superman movie where the impetus of Superman is to overcome the fact that his father told him it's better to let children die than to for a second even try to almost expose yourself. And I just think tonally that's not that's not the Superman that I know, and so it just didn't feel like Superman to me. And I think at the core, that's my problem with this movie. Okay. Uh, I mean, now the Superman, I guess, the thing is, um, so the Superman that you know, is it mostly based on, um, is it mostly based on the Christopher Reeve incarnation of Superman, or is this a combination? It's, it's Christopher in It's Christopher Reeve. It's, I've read some comics. It's uh, the the way he's always portrayed in like the the Justice League ninety nineties car, cartoon that followed Batman the animated series, and I think yeah. the characterization on those animated movies with the WB are spot on in a lot of ways, um, and it's just it's just ideologically like you know Superman in every incarnation I've ever experienced with him outside of Man of Steel. And maybe I just need to read more Superman. Maybe there's there's dark Superman timelines where this is all explored, but. I'm used to truth, justice, and the American way, yeah. and this sort of idealism of it. The, and like, I get my darkness from Batman. I want my kind of idealism from Superman. And I think the problem is, is that Clark Kent in this movie, at heart, is an idealist. Except his father crushes that idealism and forces him to, you know, again, I, I, I the, uh, the biggest the scene that I really always keep coming back to, and I keep thinking about uh, this movie is. The scene where 
uh, he and his classmates go off the uh, bu- go off in the, the school bus, go into the river, right, or the ocean, or whatever it is that they're in, and he saves yeah. them. Now he he did not like he wasn't doing something and heard them cry and rushed over. He was in this accident. He was in no danger of dying, and the rest of those children would have died without him. And the follow-up scene is his father going, well, Clark, you shouldn't have really done anything. And Clark went, should I have let those children die? And he went, well, maybe you should have. And that's the problem I have with this movie is it's, it's, not, it's not the idealism that I, I, I come to expect in a Superman movie. And I think the characters, given this idealism with this weird darkness veneer that he's trying to overcome. And, and, and so that's, it just doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? Like for the character. Um, but again, there's a, I think there is a lot to be said of positives about this. I really like Henry Cavill. I really like Amy Adams. I think um, the choice of Zod for your villain was perfect. The fact that we see no Lex Luthor in this movie, and I, I'm, I don't even care. Even if it was like the best Lex Luthor ever, they would have gotten, because we'll get into Jesse Eisenberg. I think it was a perfect choice to not have him here. You got Superman, you got Zod, you got two superpowers who were going to fight. And so there was some great choices here. I just don't, I didn't get the, I didn't understand why they went with this bleak tone of the movie, uh, which like by the end, I, I enjoyed a lot of it, but I didn't have fun with a lot of it. And I think that for me, I come to these movies for fun. I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. walk away going, "Oh man, 9-11 and the fact that we've lost our way as a country." And because that's what this movie made me feel like. It made me go introspective about what he was saying about America and 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 where we are and and how Superman now reflects these, you know, different values we have as a country. And I just I don't want that in a Superman movie. So I, I think that was my my overall issue with it. Though I do agree with you guys. There's a lot of good stuff here. Okay, um, Tony, I, I know you're you're a fan of Man of Steel as well. I'll 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 go last on this one. Um, what were your? I mean, I know you already liked it, but what were your pros and cons? I guess you know of of the movie if you're going to critique it as well. Well, I think the reason why I loved it as much as I did is a lot of the reasons why Jason just mentioned, and. I think that if you go back to this to the Christopher Reeve Superman's, you know, they went they went very much by the comics, right? They I mean it really was ripped right from the pages of the comics. It was the, you know, Superman just appeared and oh my god, and he has just a wonderful abilities and you know, everybody loves him and he's a hero and this and that or whatever. You know as well as I do that if that shit happened today, that would never ever ever happen. People would be terrified. And Perry White puts it perfectly. Can you imagine how people would react if they knew there was somebody like this or amongst us? Right. That would. And, and that's and that's the epitome of this whole movie. And that scene that you mentioned where Jonathan Kent tells him, maybe you should have let him die. That's a man who loves his son that is afraid that if 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 he were to reveal himself for who he was, that they that he would never be able to become the man that he was supposed to be. And he says it in that speech. He says it to him. He says, you are at some point or another going to decide whether you are or are not going yeah. to change this world. That is going to be up to you. You need to get to the point where you can decide, not as a 14-year-old boy, but as somebody, 
years from now who is more wise and more understanding of who they are and why you were sent here. And that's why he shows him the pod. That's why he tells him that you need to go and you need to figure out who you are and why you're here and what you're here. You were what you were sent here to do. And that's I think that was the reason why. But this it this comes back to, in my opinion, this comes back to the same thing as the Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. This was the, yeah. this was Christopher Nolan's pick. He was a he. The story was by David Goyer and by Christopher Nolan. And what he did was he took Superman from the pages in the 1950s and 40s and 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 you know and 30s of this again you know all American good boy always making the right decision and thrust him into the day into the, to today's social media and you know judgmental and cynical people that we are as americans today and you know we could say truth justice in the american way but that today means a hell of a lot is a big difference between it was even 20 years ago when when 9-11 did happen yeah. it's not the same world that we live in today and the way that he inserted this character into the way to what our life would be like now i feel like these would be the decisions that would have to make you know that that he would have to make and things that he would have to go through and he follows up on it in batman vs superman where you'll see it's a lot of a lot of you know him being you know being blamed for shit on tv and you know and and having commentators question you know should he be here you know, you know, what is, you know, how do we know he's always going to do the right thing? There is all of this today. And it's no matter what type of public figure you are, he would, he is the, now the biggest public figure because he can do what he can do. So I feel like that story putting Superman and well, that's what they did with Batman. They made him, they, they took Batman and they put him in today's society. How could Batman and how could Bruce Wayne pull off all that he does in today's world, well, exactly is this is exactly what it was with Superman, and I thought I thought at least that this story did a really good job. It told a really hard truth of how Superman became who he was. He went out on his own. He went to find um, the ship. He went to find exactly who he was, why he was here. Got this, you know the the you know being able to interact with Jor-El I thought was phenomenal. I, I love the fact that he was able to to interact with him like that. Russell Crowe as Jor-El was just splendid. I mean, I, I really I was upset that you do you couldn't get more of him. And this 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 movie for me was the best story that could tell how Superman got to where he was. And then the follow up to Batman or Superman was how he was struggling to get to that point. And I'm hoping that at some point they get off their ass and they allow this guy to actually play the part that they had envisioned for him after going through all of this and now being the wiser, a little bit older Superman is able to continue like that. That's the guy, that's the story I would like to see. And I'm hoping that they eventually tell it, but this particular movie, the way he does it, the visuals is the scene with Zod a little bit too much. I thought at the first time I saw it, I'm like, you didn't need any of this. You could have just, you could have ended it with the world engine and that would have been the end of it. But seeing how they tied it into the beginning of Batman vs Superman, I, I was perfectly fine with it after that. This I ranked this as my number one DCU movie, and I'm, and I, I stand behind that. Especially, I I so enjoyed watching it again. I, I I'm glad we did it because I, I really, it cements it as the number one DCU movie for me. Yeah. So I, I want to tell you, I, I didn't speak, um, I didn't speak okay. about Jarrell, but I should have. 
Russell Crowe, I think, is awesome in the movie as Jarrell, so I do want to give him credit. And I know I saw a comment you would put up about that first 20 minutes of Krypton. I actually love all that Krypton stuff. I, I think uh, that's why when I say it, like there's so much here that there is worth liking, and that's what I'm talking about. Like the, the politics on Krypton, uh, Zod and Jarrell facing off, that's some real good stuff. So I, I agree with you uh, on that. There is some good stuff there. Yeah, so... Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, Anthony, honestly, I'm going to end up echoing some of a lot of your points as well because, I mean, you did articulate how I I feel about Man of Steel, and I kind of always have. It was exciting to for me to watch it again after not having to have watched it for so long, right? Like, sit down. You guys know. You, there's commercials in the movie. It's kind of annoying. They're in and out. It takes you out of it. You get up and take a piss or something and leave, and you're like, yeah, whatever. Um, but, like... I'll let Gil kick the uh, kick this part off. Yeah, I remember the hype for this movie as well. I was and I was pretty excited when I saw that the trailers were really really exciting. Gil says he goes back and watches uh, the the reactions for that too. Um, I, I mean, full disclosure, I am not as you know. You guys well know Superman is not one of my favorite characters. Um, I've grown to start to like him over time. I don't like the whole Boy Scout, you know, like. You know the guy, that whole thing. You know what I mean? Like the that, that whole. I, I think it's very old school and it's very dated, and that's why when I saw that they were gonna go with like a more modern take on Superman, I was excited for because I'm like, if there's a, a character that needs this, it probably is, uh, probably is Superman. Um, and they tried that initially with Superman Returns, but I think that movie just didn't know it was like set. After Superman 2, it was a continuation of Richard Donner's Superman, but then again, he was different. And yeah, it was just kind of like they were trying, they took the first crack at it and like they didn't nail it. So now, and the sequel to that, ironically, was supposed to be called Man of Steel. And then eventually, yeah, well, they, had to, you know, they, they had to better Lex Luthor, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, oh, absolutely. They, yeah, ironically, they end up having their calling their reboot. Man of Steel, complete reboots, a beginning of the DCU. It came out at a time when the MCU was like off and running now. And, you know, Nolan's, you know, Batman universe just closed to an end. So you knew you were going to kind of get things started with that. And they, they approached Nolan to kind of be there, Kevin Feige, and oversee the DCU, but he didn't want anything to do with it. He was like, I'm just going to keep doing my movies and that's it. You know, I'll help you guys get started and then you do, do your thing after that. And I know he handpicked Zack Snyder to direct and and to go with this whole thing. Um, and he and and they produced and he wrote the story with David Goyer. Yeah. That was yeah, was no, Norman and Goyer is the one that did it. So, you know, this was definitely a continuation of his of his ideology of of, of bringing the modern day superhero into today's world. Yeah, but launching the shared universe that they wanted to. Um, I thought that was also something that I I think they they threw in the little LexCorp. Uh, tanker mm -hmm. that gets destroyed in the fight at the end. They threw mm -hmm. in the, the brief Wayne Enterprises thing there. They could have mm -hmm. gone heavier in a couple of places, and they didn't. Like it didn't collapse itself like an Iron Man two does, where it's like we have to overload it. We have to set up all the upcoming movies. That's it. I mean, that's oh, no, that was by choice. They did that. Well, they did all that by choice. And I think that's the thing you got to give this movie credit on, and that it focuses on telling the Superman story, and it's right. focused on not completely world building while still throwing a couple of Easter eggs in there. I mean, I know that for years there was talk of the, the scene where he's in the water and with the whales, if that was Aquaman sending the whales to save him. I don't know if that would have been too much 
or maybe it would have been a subtle way to do that and maybe throw I that. Think he, I think I, th I think Zack Snyder actually admitted to that 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 was a nod to Aquaman that he was. Yeah, it was a fan theory. I know that was thrown around, but I never know. I know my point is they didn't go too heavy handed with that. So I think DC got there and they picked the first the the perfect character to go with. As much as I love Batman, and to me he's the he's the guy in DC, but their tr their trinity of Superman, Batman, and and, and Wonder Woman kind of co are the are the history of that. But you, I mean, starting off with Superman is probably the way to go. Right, and we found that in BVS Agreed. that while this is going on, Batman's been running around for twenty something years already. So, I mean, it's 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 fine. Um, another thing I did before diving back into this still is I watched the DC animated movie Superman Man of Tomorrow, which I would highly I know I texted you guys you should check that out after watching this since you got a little Superman flavor going. You can see some of the same ideas from how to handle Jonathan Kent in this. You know, like Jonathan Kent in Man of Tomorrow is kind of the same type of way. Like, we don't know if the world is ready for this. We need to protect Clark. You know, like we need to like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. It might be more harm than good. And I know that was the one that was a big point of contention for fans when this movie came out. And since is, oh, you know, the way Jonathan Kent is, he's kind of like a Debbie Downer, like, you know, like he he wants to. You know, he, he tries to hold Clark back and and tries to like push his own ideals on. I'm I'm with Tony on this. So I kind of see where I, I kind of agree that he was more protecting Clark, and I don't think he wanted children to die. He didn't really want that to be the case, but he was trying to figure out like he was trying to play the the big picture, the the end game for this. Like you know, if he does that, you saw how those people freaked out. That that mother and her child were like petrified of him, and they were going to start talking and stuff like that, and it was this whole thing. Um, but I love the cast of this film. I think Henry Cavill is great. For me, he's my Superman. He's the guy that I I, I really enjoy watching him, and I'm praying that he gets to finally do a proper sequel to this. I can't wait to see what he brings in the Snyder Cut as well. Um, in BVS, which we'll talk about next week, but I kind of think he was a bit underserved in that, which kind of sucks. Not his fault, though. Um, in the cut of Justice League, we did get. I like that because to me, it showed the progression from this young Superman to the Into Superman that, that more, more, more fans know and love. And I think it was important for you to start to show how he got this start. And that Superman Man of Tomorrow shows that it, it focuses on the same time period. Like Clark just moved to Metropolis. He's an intern and he just met Lois Lane and everything like that. So again, you guys should check that out, and maybe we'll do a segment on that. But I think it's—I thought it was interesting because I, I figured there was going to be parallels between this. Uh, the action I thought in Man of Steel was phenomenal. There's a lot of action. It doesn't really slow down a lot of points. It keeps going. It keeps going. Uh, the CGI, CGI is I thought top notch. His mm -hmm. flight, the like sonic booms that are going when he takes off at that you now that speed, I, I think is a really good touch. I think we get a villain in Zod. Who has a clear under you know has a clear motivation and it's an understandable one you know like they do talk about the Genesis Chamber and the Codex and how every you know every Krypton Earth is their birth for a reason like Zod was meant to protect Krypton and protect Kryptonians at all costs so you can kind of see where he's coming from where he's like listen to the us or them all right we got a planet you know they were out there years ago doing scout missions we found the equipment now we're here we've got the planet i'm out of the damn phantom zone you know 
I need to continue my people. You can understand that. He's not just a uh, mustache-twirling villain who's like, oh, I'm Zod, I'm evil. As much as I like to joke around about Terrence Stamps, Zod in Superman 2, it was, you know, it's hilarious to watch, but you can't do that again. I would have liked a kneel before Zod just as an Easter egg, but, you know, whatever. I, I, I moved on from it. Eddie, um, Eddie why, why do you say these things to me when you know that I will kill you for it? That's the best character <laughs> Or like when the president's kneeling to him, he's like, oh, God. And yeah. he corrects him. Zod. Yeah, Zod. I mean, <laughs> whatever. But listen, for this version of Superman and for this story, I think, you know, Michael Shannon, I love Michael Shannon. He Michael was Shannon. Phenomenal. He was a little screaming of, of Zod. Like, you know, when he screams at at at, uh, at his mother, you know, and I will find too. him. Yeah, yeah. And Jarrell. Well, when he screams that at his mother, his mother's petrified. Like, this dude's about to go to a phantom zone, but he's telling you it doesn't matter. I'm getting out. Sooner and, or later, know, I'm I, and I love the fact that, you know, the, they, they decide that he's going to go to the phantom zone, right? So after all of the warnings that Jorel had given them about this is the end, it's going to happen, whatever, and what do they do? Instead of keeping him on the planet, like, if we go, he's going too, right? They don't – they still – don't believe that this is going to happen. And it's typical, you know, if, if, if there were politicians, if there were United States politicians on Krypton, those would be the fucking people that were on that. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, you know? So it's perfectly done because they're like, well, wait, this isn't going to happen. We're going to send you to the family. Like if, if they were even remotely, you know, had the idea that this was going to happen, they would have just kept them being like, look, if we're going, you're going too, so we're just going to keep you here, and we'll just keep you in that little icicle penis that they want to send up into the uh, into the ship there, right? Like, they would have just did that, and that would have been it, but they didn't do that. They just, they were so focused on, this is all bullshit, everything's going to be fine, and we're going to send you, this is the way we always do it, and, and that's it, and then we're, we're going to be here when you, you know, in eternity, when, you know, you're you know, you're, you're gone and you'll never have to watch, you know, see you again. But that's, that was exactly the point. Like just, they just never thought that they never took Jarrell seriously, that this was going to happen. And to that, even to that day when they sent him off, that that was going to be it. And sure as shit, that's what happened. And that's the reason why he was able to survive and everybody else left. So everyone else was gone. So. And I love, by the way, I love all the Krypton stuff. I love Russell Crowe. Oh, was so well done. Was so well done. Him, him as Jarrell was perfect. You know the whole the whole thing on there. I love the costume design, the action. They actually made Krypton action packed, which was cool. Yeah, we got yeah. to see that. And yes, the little shuttles that they send them off into the Phantom Zone. By the way, yes, they look like flying penises. Exactly they, what, which is hilarious, bro. When I saw yeah. it the first time, I'm like, oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I, and I remind you, I forgot about this crap for years. Yes, I forgot about the frozen penis. When I saw that the other night, I was like, look, here it goes again. And to me, to me now, I look at it. I'm watching this again last night. And I'm like, you know something, man? They're like, they're telling them, like, you're going to Phantom Zone. You're fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, I got very well done. Well done. Nicely done, Tony. To get back to what you said before, because I had the similar moment. Because again, I haven't seen this since the theater, right? So you have the moment, like, so they get Zod and 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 Zod kills Jarrell, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Now and then they have like, they have the trial, and I'm like, you you guys are having a trial, like. 
Your planet's yep. got hours to live. What are and you doing? All right, all right. You're having a trial for Because look, and because what happened in the beginning, of, in five minutes before that, Jarrell mm -hmm. was standing in front of them saying, we need to evacuate. They're like, what are you saying? We're going to evacuate the whole planet? And he goes, no, we're all doomed. We need to get people off the planet. And they were just like, eh, I, I don't believe you. And that was the whole problem, and that's exactly if again that was that was showing showing a window into our world on Krypton because that's exactly what would shit would happen here. They would still, you know, they would still be doing things as normal, and you know, the world could be crumbling around them. But that's exactly what they never thought for a minute that he was at that stuff was actually going to happen at what Jarrell was warning them about, and it, it showed all the way to. And he, he even says it right before they freeze him. What does he say? Jarrell was right. You're a bunch of fools. Mm -hmm. So even the man that yep. he killed and he disagreed with, he was agreeing with him that they were all stupid, that this was going to happen. And it, it was, I thought, again, that was another really, really smart scene and one that you don't realize at the time, but then afterwards, as you see down the road, it was, you know, it was just their ignorance that led to it. Yeah, the people on Krypton, listen, you guys destroyed the planet, and we could, you can say what you will about that mirroring, like we're destroying the planet, and and you know, I'm sure that there's there's a subtle message. Oh, there's parallel, yeah, there's parallels there. But, I mean, that's that yeah. was, you know, that was that was definitely, you know, that was definitely put there. That's cool, you know. And I, What's I, up, Jason? I also want to, I just want to point out that I think that. Uh, the council parallels, because uh, Tony, you had said that it was like here on Earth. The council parallels Pa Kent, right? Pa Kent in this movie is the council in the sense that he is like, nope, head in the sand. Just I'm worried about you. You got to just take care of yourself. We're not going to see the possible danger of the fact that you are an alien living on this planet. And if you hide yourself for the rest of your life and they find you out, you know, they might destroy Metropolis. And I'm just saying, I think. I, I added that in, but I think the movie's making the point that Pa Kent is wrong. And that's why I brought it up before. It's not that I just think I don't like this version of Pa Kent. I think the movie clearly tells us Pa Kent was wrong because when Clark Kent finally meets up with Jarrell, Jarrell says to him, You can save him. Go, go, well, save them. Well, that, right exactly. Back. And that exactly. And that and that if you remember the if you remember the scene in the cemetery, right, when he's talking to Lois, he said, My father died thinking that I shouldn't be doing uh, that I that I shouldn't reveal myself to the world and remember what he does afterwards after Zod shows up he goes to church and he talks to the yeah. priest which is says, a great scene that's a great which scene. is a phenomenal scene great and he stuff. doesn't and and the, priest, it, it, the priest gives him the one thing sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and that was what with Pa Kent was worried about all along was that not having mm -hmm. the faith that they were that the human race was going to do the right thing he didn't know that they were going to do the right thing either, but he yeah. gave, he took that leap of faith that they would do the right thing and that he could exactly. show them exactly what he was supposed to do. And that was it. But I'll, but I'll tell you, if you, if you, and I know we're going to go over this in BBS, but the scene with Jonathan Kent in BBS goes to show you the projection that he had. His father tells him that story and so on and so forth. It's where Jonathan's actually giving him good advice, right? And ex explaining to him, like, these, you know, this is what happened to me. And it can't always be, it's not always going to be a positive ending. It's always, you know, there, there's going to be, you know, bumps in the road and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to do something that you think is good and something bad is going to happen because of it. And that was actually very, very good advice and something that Clark needed to hear at that time. But that was also his projection. He wasn't risen from the dead. That was all Clark having mm -hmm. that conversation in his mind of how it would how it would play out. And you'll see, and that's kind of the progression in the character of him coming from what Jonathan had been before to what he 
you know, needed to hear from Jonathan at that point. And it, it, I just, that's, you know, people talk about, you know, Zack Snyder and, you know, like his visuals are great and his storytelling sometimes is slow and this and that. But I think that he does such a good job of delving into each of these characters and giving you such a, a real, a, a huge window into who each one of them are as this movie is going on. I, I really, I, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed rewatching this. I really, really did. Yeah, another another highlight for me though, compared and again, it's it's hard to not compare it to, well, there's you know the either um, Richard Donner, Superman the movie and everything, is just that the way they handled his origin story just through flashbacks, and just key points in it, which they show you how terrifying it could be for someone of his age to be encountering these things, and like yes. obviously it foreshadowed what what yeah. Zod and everyone else was going to go through. I thought that was Correct. extremely strong, the way that they handled that, and like. Uh, Martha, Mar- I know how. Why did I say that name? I can tell you why. I, I didn't said that say name, that name. She's in the damn movie. That's why. You know, she shows up to the school. <laughs> she talks to him. Tells him how to hone in on it. Exactly. Right. That whole thing I thought was it. great. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that was really strong. My my issues with this though that I've always had they haven't changed really though. And then we'll get to we'll try to go through some of the the divisive the divisive scenes that I think a lot of fans have had, but my. My issues with the the film were, you know, the a couple of scenes where the uh, I hear it's all downhill after the first kiss. I think that only applies to kissing a human. I thought that was kind of goofy and whatever. I mean, again, no no movie's perfect. I'm not saying I never have proclaimed Man of Steel to be perfect, but that was one thing I thought was kind of goofy. And then the the girl at the end, you know, just I, I think he's kind of hot, hot thing. I thought it was a little unnecessary and kind of, again, a little bit awkward. Like, it seemed like comedic things that were just didn't land with me. I thought were just a little bit weird. And then you want to know where I hang my cape when he's telling him at the end when they, he knocks down the, the drone. I don't know, whatever. Again, minor. it's funny because they're all in, in one section of the film. And I think those were like, you know, lighter things, things to lighten things up that were kind of slipped in there. I don't know. Personally, could also have been, you know, Warner Brothers looking to inject humor and saying, you know, yeah. hey, make a joke here, make a do this, because it seems that we're, you know, the only, and, and again, I'm not, not the only things, you know, there, there are, there are problems um, with this, with this universe that Zack Snyder created. Uh, I, I'm not, a, and not, a, not going to absolve him of everything that he did. We'll get into that, you know, when we do the next movie, which yeah. I think is, is really the whole reason why this, this whole thing got turned on its head. But besides that, I think that the the biggest problem that Warner Brothers has had throughout this whole thing is that they never fully trusted Zack Snyder. They allowed him to make Man of Steel only because Nolan was involved. He was the producer. He was partly the writer on for the story. So there is there there was that was his ability to make that movie. If they had allowed him to do what he wanted to do throughout the rest of the series, and that included making a Batman movie and another Superman movie before they teamed them up together, if they allowed him to do that, I think things would have been a it would have been completely different through this whole thing. But the reason why they, kept, they they just kept fucking with him and kept saying, "Don't you know? Oh, you need to do this and you need to do that, and we need to get a team up movie right away because Avengers made you know a billion and a half dollars or whatever it was." They they want all of that right off the bat. They didn't want to put the time in that he obviously wanted to put in and developing those characters. And that's the reason why this whole thing got fucked up. But in my opinion, they he really does a very good job of of 
delving in and telling that story correctly in this movie. And if they had allowed him to continue to do that, I think that we would have had a much different experience with this, with this, with this extended universe through, through the next five years. Well, I think the I think the writing issues that I have with it, with those goofy lines and awkward humor, I mean, to me, it's probably a David Goyer thing because I think back to Blade Trinity, where that movie was just filled with it. It was like like it was written by one of us when we were like twelve or thirteen years old. I mean, that movie's got dick joke after dick joke after dick joke in it, and it's just like it never ends. I personally think Goyer had something to do with that. These were weird, awkward comedic moments pepper in there. I don't I don't necessarily think it was Warner Brothers, but whatever it is. But my my other issue with it before I touch on one strength that I kind of slipped my mind with though was I and I really like how Lois Lane, one of the strongest things in this is how they change Lois Lane and Clark's where they meet. The the point where they meet now is while she's investigating a story related to him and tracks him down and they show how great a reporter she is. That whole thing I think builds her character really well. But then in the third act, though, we kind of get like Zod, like when Zod goes lands on Earth and he's like, oh, uh, you know, we want Cal to come with us. And he kind of surrenders himself to Zod. Fine. But then um, I think it's what, what's in it. What's this, uh, the, the woman's name that's with him? Flor, Florona, Florina, something with an F. Um, she's like, oh, he wants you also. Why Lois out of nowhere? There's no point that they allude that. Zod knows that they have a relationship. If he knew that, I can be like, all right, that's why. He wants to hold on to her, see what she knows, and use her against him, right? Like every villain wants to do to every hero. That's never established at any point. So I thought that was kind of awkward. And essentially her getting on that ship is how the hell she saves the day with, with Jarrell's uh, consciousness on that ship. So it and, knowing, off, and knowing to put the key in and pressing the thing. Yeah, I mean, that no, I mean, thing makes sense. You just yeah. had to kind of figure out why did Zod request her to be yeah. they go out of the way and to say Zod request her? And that's a problem I had too, is that I there was no reason. Like as you said, no. he didn't know they had a relationship. And he doesn't do anything with her. When he like they get up there and he goes, All right, well, go put her somewhere with Jarrell will find her. We gotta get this movie going on. Like I wish they would have had just <laughs> some sort of yeah. throwaway line about why he wants her there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it also could be. It also could be. Remember that they were looking for the codec, right? So at that point, they could have said that this. He could have known, or you know, I mean, he probably did know that she had done the investigative work to get to get him. You know, to he she had done the investigative work on on him to find out who she who he was because she was really the only person who knew who he was originally. So it could just be the fact that. He was looking for the codex, so anybody who could have any information, he wanted them on that ship. And that he, by by the time that they freed him, that they had, you know, they obviously weren't done with him. You know, it was just, you know, she figured out the thing with the with the with the the, you know, the command key, and Jarrell got them out of there. Now, do I think that they should have put something in there? Absolutely, but you can. There is a way where you can kind of connect the two there. Not like in you know in in you know the movie we talked about last week where you know. You have to touch the person, and all of a sudden you're on fucking TV. So I mean, there's you know, like there's there's that's there's no connection there. Whereas this is you can you could see where it was going or why it possibly could be, but they never actually give you the reason why. No, I think it's I think it's I honestly though I think it's us filling in a plot hole that's there. It's an obvious thing that's there. Whatever. Again, it, it didn't ruin the movie for me. It does hold it back from being even more than I thought, but it was—I thought it was a kind of a goofy thing that's there because literally she's only 
aboard that ship. I get why the story needed her to be there, but it doesn't really make sense how Zod knows any of this, like anyone. She literally just handpicks her. So obviously Zod told her to go get her specifically, but we don't ever really learn exactly why. And then after that, the Lois, in the third act of this, Lois is constantly the damsel in distress all of a sudden. Constantly needs to be saved by, by Superman. Oh, she's repeatedly. always... Yeah, but she's always being saved by him. I mean, yeah, but that's the thing that you just him. yeah, but the thing is you just the whole movie was building up to give her more than just being a damsel in distress and making her a, a, a strong character. And then all of a sudden she's flying it from she's dropped out of space, she's dropped out of this, she's dropped out of that. Cal's like gotta keep on trying to save her, which is I, I get it. He Cal saving her is a big deal, but I, it just it just seemed like it got repetitive. Like it happened two or three times in the last act, and I was like, "You don't need to." Once I think would have been like, "I got it." You know, got the only thing that, was like the only thing that the only thing that really pissed me off about not and it didn't piss me off. The only thing that really bothered me, I guess, about all of this is that throughout this whole thing, he left her in the middle of that dust field. Right when him when her and Zod started to go, these two guys are flying around the freaking city like you wouldn't believe. They're going through buildings. They're this, that, and the other thing. You don't know where they are, what they're you know. And for the three minutes that they're inside the freaking terminal, right inside Grand Central Station, I guess because that's what she it appears. looked like. She, appears right? out of nowhere. she just walks in. Yep. She just walks in. This what she do? What she do? Hail a taxi and get down in? She call an Uber? Like yeah. how the hell in the middle of a war zone did she end up from the middle of the dust field to being standing in the middle of of Grand Central Terminal? And Ed, you know as well as I do. Even if you walked in the Grand Central Terminal, you wouldn't even know what the hell ent entrance to go in, where they are, where how they got. Like it's that's the one thing that I could say. Like I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like she just happens to walk in the one entrance where they happen to be, right? Yeah. That there's nothing blocking or anything like that after they flew through the freaking ceiling. Like that's the only thing about it. I'm like, that's that's absurd. Yeah, like, that's literally absurd. I'm uh, in a movie about aliens and a movie about Superman. The most absurd thing is that in the middle of this war between these two super beings, she just happens to walk in the door and down the stairs, and there he is. In well, the that's what I'm saying. I, I think in that third act, Lois seems to be appearing very conveniently for things to kind of just happen, and that's one thing I think is kind of kind of weird. And again, it's not something that ruins it for me but it is it is very bizarre and it keeps happening over she didn't and over, have to, and over but she didn't even have i can understand he had to save her at coming out of the ship because she was on the ship first of That's all she, never, she never should have been she shouldn't have ever even been, on, never the been on the ship, ship because there's no reason right. why yeah, yeah the story right. had reason for her to be there well, i gotta put i gotta put it I got to put the key in. I can handle that, right? Yes. Like I can. There was no reason for her to be on the ship, but that's fine. Okay, she's on the ship. She falls out the back. He flies. He saves her. He brings her down. You know, whatever. Okay, so that's that happens. But there was no reason why she had to be. But she gets. He saves her again, though. He saves her again when she flies. She falls out of some plane or some shit like that again. That was. A, that's what again. I'm talking about. Well, no, that no, was no, what I'm talking about. No, there's the ship. When they're escaping Zod's ship, and then he saves her from falling again. Yes, that was the time point. I'm talking. That's the time I'm talking about when yeah, she that's was the on. Part I thought, like, what? When she was on the C, when she was on the C seventeen. When they were going to drop this, they were going to you yes, know. Like, the again, you just yeah. Right, like okay. You should, first of all, she should never have been on that plane before. There was no <laughs> reason for her yeah. to be on that plane, nope. but she's on a plane in the army fatigues too, which I thought was hysterical. They got they let it change. Now she's like she's like a she's like an auxiliary army uh, army soldier. Now she's gonna go in on a plane, but so she falls out. He saves it, but and he, he leaves her, 
in the middle of of ground zero, essentially, where there's just nothing. Yeah. And then, but she didn't have to be in the train station. That she didn't scene have to be in either one. More, it should have been well agreed. But she that scene would to me would have been more impactful if that he does what he does right, and he has yeah. to do it. Okay, and he does what he does because he realizes because he says. And you know, and and again, it's these little throwaway lines sometimes. But he says, "Don't do this, right? Don't make." He's telling him, "Don't make me kill you, right?" And he says, "He he says never," and that's he realizes this is never going to stop. That I have to do it, what I have to do, and he does it. The scene to me would have been more impactful if he does it, and he's just kneeling there with Zod in front of him, right? And then the imagery is, "I alone had to make this decision, and I did it, and I did it for the reason." I did it for the reason that I had to do it, right? That to me would have been more impactful. She didn't have to be there. There was no reason for her to magically appear at anyone and come there and console him. That was no reason for that. It should have been, I made my decision. I had to do, this was a decision I had to make. And it was I alone that had to do it. And it would have been just him there, the imagery of him kneeling on that floor, looking at Zod, seeing what he had done and making, looking at the decision he had made. That to me would have been more impactful in, instead of her whisking in out of fucking nowhere. And then that would have been, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the scene. I, I, it just, that's the only problem I literally have. And it's not just the fact that it's her or whatever, the ridiculousness. It was the fact that there was no reason for her to there. And the scene, in my opinion, would have been better without her being there. Yeah. and, and that's Tony, what I'm you getting got... from you is Go ahead, Jason. It's something, you've, something you said last week and you said this the first time we talked is you are good with any logic a movie sets up as long as it lives by its own logic. And that's what it sounds like this issue. You have it. Yes, absolutely. The the logic of the movie is Lois Lane is set somewhere. How does she magically get someplace else? If they said Lois Lane now has superpowers because Krypton, okay, great. That's it. That's how she's there. But they didn't. Yeah, exactly. If you set a, a, if you, if you're, look, if you're going to put me in the middle of a world and you're going to set your rules, I'll live within those rules. Okay. As long as it makes sense. Don't start making up new freaking rules in the middle of the film. That's the thing that we, that's where, that's where shit goes crazy. In my opinion, that's where Suicide Squad goes crazy because you got shit that's just all over the place. In this film, you play by a certain amount of rules and they did that for two and a half hours. They did it. It was that last three minutes of the film that was just like that's where it, it just did not have to happen the better scene is just him and dodd and that's it it was the two of them who were going to fight it was going to be the two of them it was either going to be one or the other he says in the middle this is going to end with either i'm dead or you're dead what's going to be one or the other and it, he knew that that was going to be the case there was going to be no talking him out of it so this was it had to happen yeah. And he knew it had to happen, but it should have been him by himself because it was his decision. He had to make it. He made it. It should have been just just him on that floor with Zod with 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 Zod's body. Yeah. Well, one of the other big strengths before we, I mean, we were going to move on to the divisive scenes that fans seem to have, but you kind of mentioned a, a pretty big one there. Uh, we'll we'll touch on that in a second. But I think another thing that Gil brought up too, and that is one I wanted to mention, it was in my notes, was the score. Hans Zimmer crushed it in this movie with the score of it. I love the first flight theme in there. Like that whole thing. It, to me, the score helps out a lot of it because that's what makes it. A lot of people are like, oh, it, it's it's a gloomy movie. It's not very full of hope and everything like that. I think Hans Zimmer's score, along with some of the scenes and the visuals, I personally felt it did portray hope. 
and it made a lot of that, especially his first flight when he takes off. And it, like that whole thing is, is fan fantastic to me. I, I, that's, that's what I love. Uh, another big thing in this. Um, some of the divisive scenes will, I mean, one, Tim is mentioning one of them is Pa deaths and you know, Pa Kent's death scene. I guess we can start off with that. There's four that I had on my list that were there. Um, a lot of fans seem to have an issue with it because I don't know if it was necessarily uh, the visual or or something like that of it. I get why he told him to, you know, why he tells Clark to let me go because he's still trying to protect the secret. Some people felt that was going over the edge with trying to protect the secret. I mean, if you were going, if you, he was willing to say, don't save, potentially let some children die and stuff like that in a, in a school bus, letting him go in that situation, I think it kind of lines up again. You set up your own kind of rules and ideology for Jonathan Kent. It only makes sense that he would sacrifice himself to protect Clark's secret. Um, Jason, I mean, I, I know where, how do you feel about maybe that view of it? So I, I've got no problem with that scene because I think you're right. That is a guy who would die to keep that secret. And at least yes. he's not a hypocrite about it. And I don't think the movie even attempts to say he's a hypocrite, though it, nope. I do think it's saying he's wrong. Um, and I also want to say that uh, it's probably the best thing that could have happened because had Pa Kent lived to when Zod showed up, he'd have been like, no, no, Clark, no, no, just let him destroy Earth. We don't want to give away your secret. Let him kill everyone. You know, you could go elsewhere. Because I think that's the kind of, but I think that's the kind of like mentality he had by yeah. any means necessary. You know, so I, I, I don't have any problem with it. I, I think it was kind of weird that he was, like, about to be sucked up into a tornado and kind of went and got sucked up. Like, I, I wish there was yeah. more of, like, I mean, he, I'm, be, I'm being sarcastic, but there wasn't yeah. much of a reaction from Pa Kent in being actually sucked up. But, I mean, that's such a small thing. I, but I, I, don't, yeah. I have no problem with that scene. I think, actually, it makes sense with the world they built. Yeah, and I think, Tony, you'll agree that. I mean, because we kind of touched on it in both of our parts is that, I mean, when you set up his ideology to let a school bus of children potentially die, you would be like, I'm going to sacrifice myself. And like Jason says, it's not going to be hypocritical. I'm going to live by my own my own thought. I agree. I, I mean, he, he as, <clears throat> as, a, as a father, will tell you that you will do anything to protect your children. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what he did. He was willing to die. Exactly what Clark said to, to Lois in the cemetery. My father was willing to die or died with that feeling yep. that that he needed to keep his 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 uh, his, his secret from everybody. But I I, I, I do want to say that there are times in this movie and more than one time where Jonathan tells him that you are going to be the one that has to make that decision. Yeah. So what Clark was, what, what, what Jonathan was telling him and the reason he put his hand up, like, no, don't do it because yeah. now is not the time. You are not ready to make that decision, whether or not you want to, and you're not doing it for the right reason. You're doing it because you need to do it. Not because you have, you know, not, you have to do it because you're ready to do it, not because you need to do it. So that to me, made sense for that scene now the scene itself him going back and, and 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 this has nothing to do with dogs you know that i'm a huge dog lover for him to go back in the middle of a tornado to try to get the dog out of the car is not the way that that scene should have been written it should have been that he was going back for the kid or he was going back to you know get somebody who had fallen or something had been on the top of them that would have made the scene more impactful it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a dog 
but he should never have been going back and risking his life to get the dog out of the car. Okay. It should have been about a child. What's it? Well, and that's it. And w- but the thing is, is that when you have when you have children and you have a family, that that is your first priority to make sure that your family is protected. I understand the dog is an extension. No, they were of that. safe. No, no, but they were safe though. His family was safe. He knew that Clark yeah, was well, with them. It was it, it, that was fine. But the thing is, is that by not going back to be with them to make sure, and I guess I understand that he knows that Clark can obviously protect Martha. But as as the paternal instinct of is to protect your family is that you make sure that you're with your family and that they are safe, that you know where they are and that you, you know, that you're with them. So I, I get to that point. I would have changed just that portion of it. Just that again, it would made it more, you know, like, you know, there's Jonathan. He's, you know, he's helping someone that had fallen or had gotten stuck, yeah. or the they would, there was, you know, when they when he picked up the child eventually, and then he hands the child to Clark. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was the scene that would have been like, you know, like that would have, you know, that he would have gone that close to the tornado to save it, you know, to save a child or or whatever the case may be. And again, you know, you know, we we you know that's that's just the fatherly instinct you know and that's it and that's you know that's that's just my that's just my my take on it i had no problem with the scene of the fact of is that it happened um how it came on they lived in kansas so that shit happens all itself i just i feel like that is you know the way i would have done that scene and of course you know hindsight is 2020 because i've seen the movie 10 times now so but that that's the way i would have done it yeah so tim's points that he's pointing out here are um, and I know Tim is lukewarm on Man of Steel, you know, at, at best, I think. Uh, if Clark can fold up an 18-wheeler, which he does early in the movie, when that drunk guy is messing yeah. around with the, with the waitress, and he can put it on telephone poles that nobody's seeing him, how could he have saved Pa Kent without seeing being seen? My, my answer to that is simply that there was not a crowd of people outside of the bar waiting around and hanging out, and then he just did it in front of them. This, there was essentially an audience of people that he would have Clark would have had to do it in front of them to, to save it. So that, that's, that would be my, my answer. Uh, and I would, I would also argue, I would also argue that the, the, I would also argue the fact that he's also much older in that scene where he folds up that, you know, that uh, the 18 wheeler, you know, he's an adult yeah. where is he, where they're a- obviously portraying him as, you know, a 16 or 17 year old kid in that scene where he's, you know, he's basically fighting with his dad, you know, and then, you know, he's so angry that he takes out his aggression on the truck, you know, uh, you know, instead of, you know, beating the shit out of the guy, you know, he goes outside and he takes his aggression out of the truck, which, as you said, was in, in the middle of an empty parking lot. So, you know, I, 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 I think that I, th- I think that that that's that 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 makes that makes sense that he didn't do it because he was still a kid. Yeah, and that kind of touches in too. Tim has got another comment here. Uh, it's not the fact that he sacrificed himself. It's the how. Uh, dog, tornado, plus there was plenty of time to be saved. I mean, it, it did. I mean, yes, if you want to say his super speed can do that, and he knew how to do all of that, that to go that fast and do that, perhaps. But again, there was a group of people literally standing next to him. I think it would have been a little bit difficult for him to do that. So I personally don't have an issue with uh, Jonathan Kent dying the way that it happened. I have no issues with and touch on Jason's point. I think you had to have have that death scene in there because it allowed Clark to eventually become Superman later in the film. If, if, if Jonathan is still around, he probably tries to still protect Clark and to hold him back and to not let him make that decision. I do think Jonathan Kent's which is, which is what really the argument most. was about. 
Yeah, right, which, which is the argument yeah. was in the truck about to begin with. I, I think his intentions throughout the whole film are there, but Jason, I agree that the movie does say that he was wrong. They're not agreeing with it or co-signing on it. They're just saying that he was trying to protect his son in the only way he knew how. Um, a lot of people, I think, over time have tried to categorize this Clark Kent as being kind of emo throughout the whole movie and dark and stuff like that and brooding. I didn't get that at all. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I think this Clark Kent is trying to find his way in the world. He personal conflict. Does. Yeah, it's a lot of personal conflict that I think is set up. Again, it's a modernizing tale of Superman, and I think it makes sense. It's more of a realistic tone onto it without going too far because the, you know, the dude can fly, and we're talking about aliens and space and Krypton and all this stuff. So I don't think it goes to that extreme. But, like, Jason, how do you feel about do you feel he was like a dark, brooding character? Because I know you touched on maybe you felt like that, you know, previously. I I don't I don't feel that he is a dark, brooding character. I feel this movie is bleak and has a bleak message. Okay. That's, so I want to make it clear that's a difference. Like I think yeah. actually I think the whole movie is Clark Kent Superman trying to become Superman, the yeah. Superman that we know. He's trying, right? Yeah. He but, but his way. because. Right, but but the thing is, but I think that it's not like it's not like always thrust there or something happens. He from the very moment that he tries to start saving people, and his father's like, "Dad, let kids die." Uh, he really does have that in him. So I don't think he's a dark, brooding character. I just think the tone of the movie, and in particular the action scenes, the fight scenes at the end, where we pretty much level like several nine elevens on Met Metropolis. Now we're gonna get to that next lesson. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So 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 it's not my my issue is never with the character Superman in this. It was always with kind of everything around Superman. Okay. You know, That's it's fair. almost as if it's so it's almost as if you took Superman and you as I said, you put him in this this dark else world, and he's still Superman, right? It's like Red Sun. Well, he's trying to be who he is innately, but he's got all of these other like social things. So I think all these social things around him keep him from being Superman. So he's not a dark, bleak character. But again, there's just so much in this movie that I find bleak that I can't help but not have fun with it. Okay. Um, yeah, Tony, I know you shared where, where you know, the thing me and you were in sync on this, where we don't feel, we do feel that Clark is, and, and I think the three of us, I guess, essentially agree that we feel Clark himself is a sign of hope is a sign of doing that. It is very Superman Begins-esque, which I think is important that a lot of people seem to not grasp that concept. That Derek is kind of like, they want to see Christopher Reeve underwear on the outside. Hey, you know, saving cats out of trees and shit like that. Like, I, I don't want to see that. I have zero interest in seeing that ever. And I also don't think that that's necessarily has to be Superman. Like, it, it can be different. It can be a little bit told. And I know in Justice League, and a lot of the cartoons and the animated films, Superman is not like that. He actually is more kind of like this Superman, where he is, you know, he he doesn't, he's not always the Boy Scout a hundred times. He's always, you know, he's more of a real fleshed out character. And I think that's what we get here. Well, what is what does Batman say to Superman in, in the comics so many different times? You're too emotional. The emotions are going to get uh, the emotion. Your emotions are going to get you in trouble, right? And it happens. You could see it because what is it? What happens? He goes and he and he and he gets. He comes after Zod, right? He he saves Lois out of the out of the pod from the ship, 
-hmm. then he sees that his mother is in trouble. And then he comes, and then he, what does he do? He's got Zod, and he's just literally pounding on him as he gets into Smallville. Now, he doesn't know what he's getting himself into. He doesn't know, you know, what they're capable of. But all he knows is that his mother's in trouble and that he loses his shit, right? And that's a young, immature Superman who doesn't, is not looking at the situation, which as you see in Batman, where he's, you know, setting all of these different things up and and preparing himself for what's going to happen because now you have a seasoned superhero that knows that he needs to know his enemy he needs to know the terrain he needs to know what's going on he needs to set everything up in advance like and then you see you know this brash reaction from superman who just his mother's in trouble and i got to go save her and i'm going to beat the shit out of anybody that goes near her and that's exactly what he does here and it shows you as time goes on the maturity of him you know, basically from just losing his mind into, you know, being more controlled and, and, and basically learning how he's got to, you know, how he has to be the hero that he is and, and utilize his powers the way that he needs, he needs to be, it needs to be done. So to, to me, you know, the, the, um, the way that they, the, the way that, that Cavill portrays it and the way that he, you know, he has that, as you said, that kind of, you know, self-awareness and, you know, and self-personal conflict that's inside. What do I do? How do I do it? It's weighing the decisions of his father against what he knows and what he's learned from Jorel and, you know, kind of coming in between and, and, and figuring out how he's got to move forward and be that, you know, that, that, that hero. And I, and I think he, I think he does it really, really well in this film. Yeah. And, and you also touched on it there. Cause the other thing that I think that, the, the two other things that I have is that there were divisive moments in this film that seemed to have like messed with fans a lot. And a lot of people argue over since it, it was released was the destruction of Metropolis and Smallville. Like they were like, Oh, look at this. It was, I mean, again, a young hero, but besides a young hero, not trying to make an excuse for him, you have two super powered Kryptonians going at it and he fights with other Kryptonians there. Yes. I'm sorry. That's going to be hard to kind of like, hunker down and like keep that in a ring or something and keep that contained it's gonna it's gonna spill out it's gonna happen i mean it, i'm sorry it, it, it is what it is yes you know and if, i know that they, are, they, they, they make an emphasis of that in in batman versus superman where they're like on the radio oh yeah you know let's take him to an island that's unoccupied it, it was a very reaction to the fan re, the fan uh lashback you know from the end of this movie and they use it to catapult into into the next film. Go ahead, Jason. No, but I want to make a point because I don't. I'm not someone who gets upset about mass destruction and, and death or whatever it's in these happen. movies, right? Uh, it's going to happen. But however, I I do as I said that part of that is my problem with this movie, and and it's it's not like oh there's destruction is that it's that. That last, the last like 40 minutes of that movie is like destruction porn. Like, again, like, look, let's let's look at Avengers the movie. Okay, Avengers the movie is a movie that also utilizes uh 9 11 imagery and symbolism in its movie. However, what I don't see in that movie is a, 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 a like, are my two main characters fighting on the dust and bones of whatever the hell what used to be in the middle of that city that they're fighting at while the rest of the city every building in the city looks like it's one of the twin towers burning and falling and this i just think my issue was not the destruction and the violence it was just the gratuitous nature 
of showing that destruction, almost as if I felt like it was, it was, I'm not going to say Zack Snyder. I know you guys hold him very, very high up. Maybe it was, maybe it was W, the, the Warner no, Brothers. No, maybe I'm, it was the. Oh, no, Zack. Oh, no, that was definitely. It was Zack Snyder. But the choice to say we're going to spend so much time on watching buildings fall on people and and fighting around buildings, like they do, lots of buildings fall in Avengers. But I don't have twenty minutes of people trapped under buildings and buildings falling on people and and all of this. Like there is the incident and they fight and buildings fall as sort of an incidental. But there are parts here where they take literal time from the fight scene to show this imagery of like who is it when perry tries to save the woman stuck yeah, under Jamie, the building the inside, that just yeah. it's it's just they make a choice to go super super gratuitously violent and bleak and that's my that's my problem with it. it's not that that shit gets blown up and, and and buildings fall hey it's a superhero movie man i lived through age of ultron in the comic book or in in the movie I've, I've seen buildings fall in comic books it's the fact that the, the director took the time to focus our attention so much of our, our attention on that is that I really feel it detracts from what he's doing. Well, I, and and you're 1000% right. He absolutely does that, but he uses that in the next movie and you'll see it when you watch it again, right? Right after watching this one, you'll see exactly where he was going for it because a lot you, you see the monument that they put up for him. Like, you know, yes, you know, he did save everybody because he destroyed the world engine and, you know, sent them back to the Phantom Zone. And they recognize that. So they got the monument built. Along in the monument is a, is a list of all the people who died in the Battle of Metropolis, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have people like, uh, what was the name of the, what was the name of the guy who, um, who, who climbs up? Uh, the guy who lost his legs in the, in the, uh, in, in the Wayne Industries. I, I, I don't remember his name. I forget but, his name. So, I forget his name too, but he, you know, he, you have people like that, that blame him. You have people who are untrusting of him because of what happened. You have a whole society now that is split down the middle on whether Superman is good or not good to be here. Should he be here? And that's part of the, it's, 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 it's almost the half the premise. And that's really what Lex Luthor decides to tap into is to tap into to using the battle of metropolis and the death and the destruction and everything that went on to so discontent into not only batman but to everybody because you see him they're on the news they're on the this they're on the that and there are people who love him and there are people who are terrified of him so you know they by but if you would have just did that in a one-off movie, it would have been like, all right, there's just too much of this here. Like it's just, it's too much. But the fact that they sewed that those scenes and and the you know and the, you know the loss of life and the damage into the next film and 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 the the reason why people are so split down the middle on him, it's because of this. Is because of what happened, and you know, and who says that this isn't going to happen again? And someone, all the aliens, are going to come and look for him, and they're going to destroy the city again. And someone else is, you know, more people are going to get killed. Yeah. So that's really the reason I think why they went into so much depth. I had a problem with it the first time I saw it too, but then after seeing Batman vs Superman and seeing how they sewed the two movies together that way, I understood it and I appreciated it more because of it. Because without seeing all that, without seeing all of that destruction, you don't understand why people feel the way that they do. You should just look at it as well. He saved the world and that's it. He's Superman. So why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't everybody love him? That they to, to show you all that is to show the reason why people are there are so many people who are distrustful of him. 
But I, I think you could have done that and cut 20 minutes of the damage and destruction out of that movie. I oh, think the, there's the, a way to I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. You could definitely cut you could have definitely cut 10 minutes off that scene. There's no question. You know, I think that, you know, just the two of them going through building after building after building after building. Yes, it was definitely, you know, he just he got on the he got on the, the CGI train and just continued to ride it. And and that's what he did. And it's and they're beautiful scenes. Don't get me wrong, because you see the power of the two of them fighting like that, and you know, and the destruction that they are able to can, you know, that they they do create because of just the, the the fight that they're having. But the buildings falling and so on and so forth is you know is 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 directly correlated into the storyline of Batman vs Superman, and I think that that's the way it had to be. Otherwise, you know, all of that stuff you would have just watched be like, this is like, this is 25 minutes too long. You didn't need any of this, but they did it. And they, and they, they sewed the whole storyline into why, what happens in Batman vs Superman actually happens. And that's the reason why it needed to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually, as much as I do enjoy it and I, I like that part, I mean, and I, and I fully understand, I think we're all clear on, how it was, it does set up, and it's all most of the motivation of Batman versus Superman. I mean, it's a lot of it. Um, I do think you could still have trimmed down the, the movie down 10, 15 minutes, and you could have got the same effect and the same point through that there was massive destruction in the metropolis and you know, and, and everything like that. I, I think that was fine. You could have cut five minutes off I mean, the world did. engine, and you could have cut five minutes off the Zod fight, and you would have, you would have been, I think, a much cleaner movie than, yeah. than what he gave you. And let's let Let's not forget that we got Avengers set up an entire like an entire two you know two phase arc uh, with with way less damage. Yes, it's implied damage as opposed, but like we're seeing damage in Avengers, but we're not seeing like buildings falling, people being crushed, hopelessness, despair. Yeah. And and I think that's my issue is I get I think they could have done more implied stuff and still set up the Batman stuff. I know they could have because Avengers yeah. set up so much with much less like of that imagery. So I guess that's my whole that's my problem with it. it just seems gratuitous. Yeah, and I know, and I think the the other thing, the last divisive point that a lot of people we, <clears throat> we've touched on it is the whole Superman doesn't kill because he kills Zod. He snaps his neck. I'm sorry. In the scene that's there, there was no other choice. They did have Snap foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Have a foreshadowing for it earlier, saying it's either going to be me or it's going to one of us is going to go. And he sees he's about to freaking laser eye these these you know these kids. And his family, and he literally he knows that Zod's not going to stop. And they hammer it home. Zod keeps telling him, "We're gonna, you know, we're gonna just kill all of them. We're gonna make, we're gonna wipe them all out. I'm gonna wipe them all out. I have no people to live for. I have nothing to lose anymore. This is it." And he has to make that decision. And yes, no pun intended, a snap decision that he he has to he has to take Zod out there. So. I, I it seems like none of us really have an issue with it. I think that's that's why I've never had an issue with it. I agree with you. It, it, I never had an issue with it. It was a decision that he had to make. Yeah. He, he made it. Um, he, you know, it, it was like you said, you know, pardon the pun, but it was a snap decision, but he had to make it. And you heard him say it. He gave him the opportunity. He said to him, stop this. Yep. Don't make me do this. And he said, yeah. never. And yeah. at that point, he realizes he's not going to stop. He's never going to stop. And he was right. It was only going to be it's the only way this ends is if one of us is dead. And Zod was so mad at him 
for sending them back to the Phantom Zone and, and basically crushing the idea that he would never be able to restore Krypton, that he said, what am I going to do? I'm going to torture these people that you love so much. And that was it. And he knew that that was the only, the only solution was to do it. You know, they had the same problem, you know, with, you know, in other, in other movies where, oh, Batman doesn't kill and this one doesn't do this and this one doesn't do that. You know what, bro? This is, this had to, it, it had to be the case in Batman year one in the comics. They, they, he, he did what he had to do. It was a different time. So, you know, this, this whole fairy tale of, you know, Superman is too good to kill. No, Superman is going to save humanity and he's going to save, he's going to save people's lives. And if this is the decision he had to make, he had to make it. And I thought, I thought it was a great scene other than like I touched on before. I thought it was a very good scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll get more into uh, superheroes killing and whatnot next week. When we talk about uh, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, um, Jason, did you have anything to add to uh, to uh, the wrap up of Man of Steel? Uh, you know, what? I got just one question for you guys, and then I got nothing more to say about this movie. If you, if Zod actually uh, took, uh, you know, uh, Clark's mother up on that ship, and then went on and said, "All right, everyone, I have Martha here." Do you think we'd get Batman in this movie, or you still think no? You think the Martha Club would have joined early? Oh man, that, that's a that's a really interesting point. That's I mean, a tough, that's a tough question. If that's Bruce a tough would, question. if somehow Bruce would have been able to know that her name was Martha, absolutely. Then then I think this the, the movie just continues. That's oh. it. Batman shows up. He goes into Zod's ship. Rex house. We we get the warehouse. And I'm thinking. I'm thinking Zod is literally going. I have Martha Clark, and Bruce just goes, Martha. Why did the TV say that name? And there we go. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're gonna have plenty of Martha, Martha talk next week when we we dump into that. And by the way, it will be Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition. We are not rewatching the theatrical cut because that does not exist it anymore. Does not exist. Does so whatever we talk about next week with that will be regarding the theatrical cut. If you have not seen it, we I think we could all say that it is better than the last the theatrical one. So check it out. Come back next week. See what we have to say. Jump in the conversation. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> no, no we'll 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 find out a little bit more about that. Uh about that next week. Um all right, so. I think we'll we'll wrap this thing up then. Uh, so I, I think we'll you know we'll we'll go ahead and we'll wrap it up. We'll uh, next week we'll be back. It'll probably be Tuesday night or Wednesday night. We'll chat about it and we'll let everyone know what's going on. Uh, for those who joined the Granny's Peach Tea Facebook page, thank you so much for joining. I think we're at like eighty something members right now. Please share it out. Invite more people. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. It's okay. Let them know. Come on, join the conversation, you know, and, and check out the show every week. We know we really appreciate it. Check out popculturepros.com. Uh, check out for if you like wrestling, we got the Just Too Sweet show. If you like the Mets, they got to put them in put it in the book show. If you like the Yankees, there's a the guy who hosted who's really cool. He's with Tim, the Empire 6161 show. Uh, you know, you got the A to Z show on here with Eric who's going ahead and uh, interviewing uh, a lot of nurses right now and first responders. That's really cool that he's getting to do that. You got the Kyle and Jader show. Jader was on earlier commenting on our One Division theories. He seems to be in sync with us and all in on our Agatha Harkness stuff. Um, and what else you got there? Am I leaving anybody out? Uh, oh, you got the Four Quarters show along with Dave. So uh, 
enjoy it. Check them all out. Follow, share, do whatever you got to do. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next week.